Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Carl Hartley I'm Max Peterson Today we are talking about 1985's Brazil Directed by Terry Gilliam See, and you're going to have that song stuck in your head for like 10 days. Well, I'm going to have it stuck in my head a lot longer. As I told you when you got here, mm-hmm. like the first thing I said was, uh, just so you know, I'm, well, actually I was still watching the movie you when you got here. You were still watching it. But uh, yeah, I'm buying the hell out of this movie. Sweet. And then the movie was uh, heinously depressing and I cried a bunch, but still it was comforting yeah, I mean, in no way. So obviously you watched the Terry Gilliam cut, not the Love Conquers All 95 minute version of this you film. You told me, oh right, 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 right. It's on the second disc. You might want to hold on to it. And Should I give it a spin? You should give it a spin. It's worth seeing just because, so you watched the two and a half or two hours plus. Um... The, I watched the ver- the one that's on disc one. Yep. So that's Gilliam's cut. That's Gilliam's cut. Okay. Because it has the everything's in the correct order. Okay. What? <laughs> and the en- ending is correct. <laughs> what? And, what is the other cut of the movie? And there's the dream sequences. And the other d- version of this movie correct. doesn't have the dream seat dream so sequences. So the other version of this movie begins somewhere around the when when um. When Sam Laurie is having lunch with his mom and her mom's friend, and there's a terrorist ex- explosion in the restaurant. That's when the, That's movie, when the movie starts. starts. I think the Tuttle Buttle thing is not even in it. Like the dream sequences with the samurai are not in it. The like whole plot of, of the, the movie impetus is. The impetus of the movie is the Tuttle Buttle it thing. It becomes a weird kind of. I haven't watched the Love Conquers All version in about 10 years because it's so jarring fuck? to watch it. Okay. But it's important because we've talked many times about when you can tell when there's a studio or a producer note, like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to want to make sure that you change that. You know, right. our demographics are not going to understand. the what, what did they do with but the this, ending? Because this this movie, the version oh, I watched, I can right. just see studio execs being like, this ending's not going to fly. Oh, that's totally what they said. And and I think it's Universal. Uh, they, uh, they, they took it away from him. It was like, you are not allowed to release this. The only reason we have the version that we do is because Terry Gilliam was... At, like teaching a teaching somewhere like at a film festival he's like me ask the studio is it okay if i show some of my some of my cut to these film students or whatever so they know what my movie looks like and the studio's like yes but you can only show like 10 minutes of it and gilliam said heard and played the whole fucking thing 10 times <laughs> And so the festival's like, this movie is fucking amazing. So they like, that's how. Quick, everyone, watch. Quick, everyone, watch this movie. And he threw it up and so many people were like, this is brilliant. The studio's fucking suck. And then the studio released Brazil and people watched it and were like, what the fuck is this movie? It's not even in the right order. Whole scenes are cut out. Like, it's it's really weird to watch. So the movie ends with them getting away. The two of them, like, like escaping the city and living happily ever after in a field somewhere. Like, that's scene where they, they drive out. Which ends up being a hallucination. Yeah. Right. So, so they left that as like, and they, here's what actually happens. Here's what actually happened. Right. So that's that's why it's called like the Love Conquers All version because it's 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 a, they turn it into a really stupid love story that just happens to be set in like 1984. Yeah. Do you know the original working title for this that he was banging around with is 1984 and a half? Really? Yeah. <laughs> 
That was so a, this is your first Terry Gilliam or second? Yeah. I have seen two Terry Gilliam films, but based on this movie, I think I've seen his two most, uh, his two least ter- Gilliam-esque yes. films. I've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Twelve Monkeys, yep. both of which are like wild movies. But they're more palatable to like the movie-going audience, I think. Yeah, They're not as Gilliam as say well, Baron Munchausen or this. Mm-hmm. But does he do other stuff like this? Yes. That like dream. There's like uh-huh. masks and weird so, creatures. So right. So this is the middle film of um the he, it's what's called his trilogy of the imagination. Uh-huh. It's Time Bandits is the first in the trilogy. Then you have this, which is Bear or this Brazil, and then the okay. Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which we're watching later on this month. So they're all about being in different points. Well, people can take it different ways, and you can listen to interviews with Gilliam, and he says it's the Time Bandits is being young and and not being happy in your environment and finding a way to escape. Brazil is about being in like your middle ages and not being happy the middle ages being, being middle aged, yeah, like thirty to forty and not being happy where you are and finding a way to escape and then the adventures of baron munchausen is being elderly and not being happy in your situation being able to escape but i take these so those three are a little bit more they're very much the whimsical Mm. uh, aspect of of terry gilliam i mean like the fisher king gets there in places which is another amazing set in in like reality but because it deals with sort of mental illness in a way right he can pepper in these moments of of like the samurai dream sequences and the really weird even when you're in the real world in brazil it feels well like ha- his design is so like very specific and it's amazing yeah. the set design in this movie is amazing before we got in, get into the nitty-gritty of the film though um you mentioned uh that in time bandits in this movie and in um baron munch the adventures of baron munchausen mm-hmm. you were talking about um being dissatisfied and wanting to escape mm-hmm. and i noted that as well i wrote down escapist fiction and i wrote it down when he's basically like tortured into insanity at the end of the movie yeah. and we realize that oh, this grand adventure that we've been seeing where he escapes and he blows up the ministry and he mm-hmm. uh, gets into the you know he fights he's back in the corridor from his dreams and then he's he gets his dream girl and they go and settle down and that escapist fiction thing there's a great essay in a book called the view from the cheap seats by neil gaiman Ooh. And Neil Gaiman wrote, he wrote basically an essay about escapist fiction because a lot of people, a lot of critics that he's run into over the years as a, as a creator, not just of fiction, but of like fantasy, science fiction um, and, and things like that. The more fanciful, the more um, uh, fantasy type uh-huh. stuff. He's uh, often people will call his fiction escapist or refer to authors he likes as just escapist, just escapist fiction, fiction as a as like a, a critique oh really yeah okay. like oh well what uh, there's this big there's this big uh, fight basically between literary fiction okay and what's called yeah. genre fiction sure which is <laughs> he, mm-hmm. right which is why like when people talk about the great American novels it's always like literary fiction like Cormac McCarthy or even more so more like Faulkner Oh, like the deep. So you could almost say that. For example, Stephen King. I was going to say King, right? We've come back to him again and again. Um, The job of the artist is to hold up a mirror. And that's the idea behind literary fiction, which is like Mm -hmm. show people the world they live in and pull back the curtain on the atrocities of the real world. And in some. Shakespeare even sort of makes fun of it in Hamlet, too. Holding a mirror up to nature. Nature is the name of the the character. Right. Actually, literally holding a mirror up to himself. (laughs) Like. It's so this I mean and yeah there you go the debate has gone back and forth forever because yeah. when you look at Shakespeare he has fairies in his uh-huh. plays and yeah. he's got like witches and shit witches like, yep. and there yeah there's like dark forces at work and stuff mm-hmm. 
the idea that a, like a popular creator of fantasy or science fiction is uh, creating escapist literature and that because it's escapist, it's somehow lesser. Less like, than? The, but there's a great quote that, no, it's C.S. Lewis. Ooh. He says, the only people who unveil against escape are jailers. <laughs> That's a great quote. Yeah, and there, the idea of that that essay that I read kind of it sparked sort of a deeper uh, examination of why I like the literature I do. He he points out that it's good to occasionally, you know, go when you go into an escapist piece of literature or fiction or mm-hmm. whatever, you go there and you you escape for a moment. Yeah, and then you rally with them. Right, yeah, and the, the not only do you get away from if you're in a shitty situation mm-hmm. and you read you know some fun fantasy book, you get away from your shitty situation for a little while. But while you're there, you can pick up tools mm-hmm. and you can pick up ideas and you can pick up hope that you, you can bring you, back you to the world with you. You put them in your you. bag and you pull them. You pull them into the real world. Right, you really do. Seeing that here, that Terry, that Terry Gilliam thing. Uh, so much of this movie is about the veneer, the surface veneer and the facade. Yes. And then he pulls it away and shows you what reality is mm-hmm. like. I even have a note so far as like, like in his his design is so specific in all of his movies, which is usually why he goes so far over budget. Like he has a very specific, unique vision, and if it is not right, he won't film it. He's like, no, I need this to look exactly like it does in my brain, or I'm not gonna film this shit. <laughs> so he'll go like way over budget. But one of the things that I noticed not only the first time, but then again on this viewing is the technology first feels like that that sort of retro f- but far advanced so yeah. it's like all this weird duct work and paneling and this weird shit but you also sense that it's super futuristic and like these supercomputers but right. com- the thing that i notice and continue to notice speaking of like pulling back the veneer and being like here's your actual reality mm-hmm is all of the computer screens that they're working off of are super, super small. Right. And they view them through very large magnifying glasses. Right. So the information that they're, they're, they're viewing is actually altered in some way. They're not even looking at it direct. There's no direct connection right. with any of this computerized information. I did not notice that. that. They're, that they're, so they're not even, because this is like that information, there's a form for everything. If you have to take a shit, you have to fill out a D847 slash, right. slash D or whatever, and people are like all about the paperwork. But even that information that they're coming into direct contact with is being, there's a layer between it, which is this huge magnifying the, glass. The, that the they, paperwork. The mirrors that they use to, because when the, um, oh my God, what the fuck, Chuck? Um, Jill. Yeah. The, the, our, the, our female the dream protagonist. Girl. The literally dream girl. Dream literally girl. dream girl. Yeah. When she is watching her screen, they're always watching Westerns or something, which mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. Casablanca. At Casablanca one point. at one yeah. point. She's watching her main television, which is in her living room, through a series of mirrors that are on her bathtub. So she's not actually watching a real screen on her tub, like an iPad or something. It's removed. It's removed. <laughs> yeah. Several times removed. And that's any most of the time when people are viewing technology or yeah. information on a screen, there there is some sort of either a magnifying glass or a mirror or some other lens that they're viewing it through. Something that Oh, that's really interesting because right. their computers not only are they not only is there a layer of remove between them and their information, entertainment, right. whatever. There's a ministry of everything. 
Yeah, but the, it's also the the lens that they look at their computer through distorts what they're seeing. As if you had a, a series of several mirrors, there's a, a good chance there would be distortion as well, mm-hmm. so that no one is actually seeing anything. Which they're is seeing another, altered versions yeah, of things. Which is why, like, the, there's literally a fly in the ointment at the very beginning of this movie. This, yeah, it's the cause of everything is a fly gets into one of these. Machines that are printing up printing arrest warrants. Arrest, yeah, so Tuttle Buttle. Right, right? it so, changes one letter and they arrest the wrong man. And that's what sends us off on this whole adventure. And uh, But even that, it's like, well, the technology that's that could be skewed anyways because you're viewing it through right. mirrors and magnifying glasses. It only takes one little error and it sends everybody off. Just completely off the rails. This perfect society where there's 18 forms to get your heating fixed. Right, that and this that, one little fly dropping into the the mechanism completely sets it up. But then it doesn't. It really only affects two, three people. The rest of the world, the rest of the world is completely unaware that this is happening. It, I mean, it it ends up kind of like tangentially affecting a bunch of people, like the right. security officers who are killed. As oh, sure. Trying. But um, which by the way was a really that's a pretty heavy moment. But um, can we get bogged down in bureaucracy for a moment? Sure, can because. I feel like the paperwork and the what you said this was made in 1985. 85, yeah. This is kind of in the same era that Alan Moore and Dave, not Dave Gibbons, Bird. Do you remember the artist on V for Vendetta? <clears throat> um. Anyway, I, it's Dave Gibbons is the guy who did yep. Watchmen. It's not him. Um. Anyway, oh, fuck. But it's, Bird's gonna go grab yep, the book. Fair enough. Stairs. Thank you. But this I is, love V. This is the same era that 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 graphic novel was being serialized. That V that for Vendetta, which is another 1984 spin, uh-huh. where the um where the government has become so huge and so massive, and there's ministry, all these ministries, and people are getting black bagged and sucked yep. out into the night. And this movie deals with that so so powerfully. Also, the movie came out in 1985, and it's very clearly influenced by Orwell's 1984. And like that he's not wrong like this in this particular era this particular piece of time we're seeing it's really scary because we're in 2018 mm-hmm. and I'm watching this movie and I'm like this is crazy relevant like, this is wow. crazy it's like it's freaking me the fuck like, out this how relevant yeah like <laughs> this like, movie could have been made like if you if you updated the effects like slightly and made mm-hmm. things more, I'm glad they like I was thinking like if this movie was mo- like more CGI like loads of CGI this could have been a 2018 film mm-hmm. and it could have been a filmmaker commenting on America now today yes but it's not. This movie is 1985, and the, we talked about it a little bit um, when we covered the jacket. Mm-hmm. How upsetting it is that nothing has changed. The progress in so is almost long. swinging back the other way. Yeah. Do I not have a copy of *Eve for Vendetta* upstairs? It's not on the shelf. That's not good. Oh my. Where's my God. copy of *Eve for Vendetta*? Fuck that noise. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 I've often talked on with Bird and on the other podcast about this, like this tendency that we have more and more to David cut Lloyd. David Lloyd thank you that to cut everything into boxes mm-hmm. and compartmentalize everything and with bureaucracy it's so that you no one has to take responsibility you just kick it to the other department exactly you kick it to the other guy and that's what we see here which is there's a bit where he's talking where Sam goes to uh talk to uh, his friend Jack Who's like the interrogator, basically, right. who he interrogates all of the criminals and gets them to 
confess, quote unquote, confess. It's like they're tortured in a giant room until they confess. Right, exactly. Um, But he goes there and he's like, oh, you, because at one point, this guy that they arrest, Buttle, dies. He's killed under interrogation. Didn't realize he had a heart condition because Because, they had his wrong information. Right, exactly. They just transposed a name. So they were supposed to arrest Tuttle. Tuttle, but they arrested Buttle instead. Which meant that all the information they thought they knew about Tuttle is wrong. Mm-hmm. So when they go to interrogate him, there's nothing in his, his file. His heart explodes. His heart explodes <laughs> and he dies. And I think it's really interesting that Sam looks at Jack and goes, oh, you're the one who killed Buttle. And Jack goes, no, no, there's lots and lots of stuff in place so that that sort of thing can happen. It's not my fault that it was, his heart condition wasn't in his file. That's an information. That's and an he, information. He, yeah. he kicks it to the next like bureaucratic box. Yep. But what we're look, what Gilliam shows us is that he's that Buttle's not even a human to no. Jack. He killed a human being, mistake or no. He tortured a human being to death, and his issue with it is that there was a problem with the paperwork uh-huh. that caused a mistake in his job. Yep. It, it like it's you feel like it's like an inconvenience in his work day where he's like oh what oh they got the wrong pay- what yeah. is why did this guy's heart explode <laughs> what do you mean it was the wrong file no God, I'm gonna have to fill out We're a report fill this. on this and the thing with the refund check oh that whole God. bit of business with the Ian Holm character like he's panicking now because something has been kicked back to his office and now the responsibility is kind of laying with him but he doesn't know how to handle that right it's just all he has to do is like. Well, I, who am I going to get to sign this? Because I can't have anybody sign it because they're so he's panicking because there's no there is no instruction manual on how to deal with a refund check because there's never been one. The refund check, by the way, is there's one of the most hilarious and dark jokes I've ever heard in there, which is we were we, we were looking at it and we're like, why is bottle being refunded? Right. He was arrested. Like, what's he being refunded for? Like, is he being compensated for his time? And then we find out that the government charges people for their interrogations. Yes. And yes. he says, there's a joke where he, oh God, I wrote and, yeah, it down. The more, the more compliant you are, the less they charge you. Right. But he's, there's a, yeah, the, the, like as long as you, and there's one point where he says like, like for God's sake, just, just comply before it becomes dangerous to your bank account. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> there's dangerous to your credit rating. Yeah. A, a threat to your credit rating or whatever. But there's a bit where he says something like, uh, fuck, I, I know I wrote it down, but he's like. They've, uh, you know, Jack's been saying for years that we're not charging them enough for their interrogations. <laughs> and so they, they, he was wrongly interrogated. He died during the interrogation, but some other bureaucratic place is like, even though he's dead, it's like, well, he was wrongly interrogated. Was, so, so they still, they cut a check to a dead man to yep. refund it. And then they sent it out and they're like, we did what we were supposed to no, do. No, they don't have, yeah. Not so our problem it anymore. To, it gets to Ian Holm. He's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. Which is when they call Sam in. Right. So they try and authorize it yeah. for him and then it comes right back and it's like, oh, he's dead. You can't, you can't. deposit this check to a dead man. And that's when Ian Holm, he says like. I may as well go hang myself now like, <laughs> yeah. because he doesn't know where to put the he's in the paperwork. He's he's like this gnarled knot of paperwork. I can't fucking deal with this. I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead because there is no because then, then he is stuck with it. Right. There's no there's nowhere for it to go nowhere for it to go. And then Sam. God damn it. This this whole I love Jonathan Price, by the this way, this movie is incredible. What else has Jonathan Price been okay, in? Because again, so, I recognize him. So he's been in a lot of Gilliam stuff. I mean, it's he's kind of one of his regulars. But um, more recently, he's been in Game of Thrones. Um, 
uh, he plays High Sparrow in that. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've watched like James Bond movies, a lot of people recognize him from the the newspaper mogul from Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God, yeah, that's I think that's where I know him from. I'm yeah, a huge James yeah. Bond fan. And I haven't he, gotten... Jonathan Price plays the nervous, sweaty. Can't quite, can't quite talk. Everything's fine. It's, uh, yeah, uh, he does it really, really just well. Really well. I'm just constantly feeling like I'm sweaty <laughs> and damp, like and that's, skinny. That's what like, it is. Is damp. Like watching him, you're like my he's underarms. Always, he's always just a little damp in his face. Uh-huh. He always just has a little bit of what I call flergbergen, which is that little bit of phlegm in the back of your throat that you can't quite clear or swallow it right but so you constantly so like flurgbergen flurgbergen f-l-e-u-r-g-b-e-u-r-g-e-n flurgbergen i not an umlaut like no umlauts no, no umlauts okay but so he's constantly like in sort of that state yeah even when he's calm and like he, his, when is he calm but he's well, never really calm because he hates his mom where he seems fairly competent and well he is competent that's the thing that he is very competent in his job that's why ian holm is like get me give me sam because he calls I've for him twice calls yeah. for him twice so he's the guy that can figure shit out he yeah what, and he what, gets promoted while his mom i thought it was him, interesting but. that sam is Highly competent, but what flusters him is other people's inability yeah. to like operate within the. There's a there's a great line at the beginning, um, which is uh, when I can't remember his name, like Hel- Helpern or something, Helburn. But the, yeah. the the guy who the like the big head Helpern, uh, Helpern. Oh shit! I can't, yeah. yeah, I can't remember his name, but the the big head of the 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 organization the the, in, the ministry of information or whatever that is yeah, yeah. well he in uh, information retrieval but he also information retrieval he also it. oversees where sam originally is which is like uh, information categorization or whatever there's a there's a thousand little ministries within this big within the one information because information is like the big one right but you have information retrieval then you have information dispersal right and then you have information well there's an awesome <laughs> joke about that when he's like i need a file jack and he goes this is information retrieval sam not information dispersal and you're like but wait once you've retrieved the information how does anyone get it that, right what, do you, what do you, and you know what it is it's a fucking mountain of paperwork yep. but um there's a great moment at the very beginning the one of the open it's the opening scene of the film when we are watching this guy i'm gonna just call him Helburn. i don't think that's his name but it's right. close enough and it, it basically describes who he is right. but um he's on the television talking about the a local a recent spate of terrorist attacks. Yes, which you know the government is actually doing most of. Right, you get yeah you get, you get the sense you get that the it's sense that controlled. A, right, a lot of it is is the Ministry of Terrorism or something. Well, do you remember you remember the um, the V for Vendetta that not the not the book well the book yes but also the movie the movie makes it much more um, uh, uh, clear. Is it Heltman? Heltman, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, in the movie V for Vendetta, it becomes very clear that the government has fabricated terrorist attacks. Yeah. So because what happens is your citizenry gets afraid. And in the movie V, v for Vendetta, they will agree to anything just to feel safe. Yeah. They'll give up any amount of freedom to feel to safe feel from safe. danger. Yeah. And you realize that the only danger is 
the government. Mm-hmm. There is no external threat. The government is fabricating terrorist attacks to control the populace right. through fear. So there's a weird sense. It's not as explicit in this, but there's a definite but sense. But it's definitely a sense of that. That, yeah, that the, because they talk about the terrorists. And at one point, Jill turns to Sam and says, have you ever met a terrorist? How many yeah, terrorists they, have you met? And he goes, like, actual terrorists? None. Yeah. And you realize Zero. he's like, oh, I've. I never have seen a terrorist. And this dangerous guy, Tuttle, is a glorified like heating and plumbing specialist. Yeah, he's just helping people with their AC because he doesn't want people to have to wait for paperwork. He's circumventing the paperwork, but literally all he is is like a heating guy. Yeah. And he they're classifying him as a terrorist because he's going around the paperwork. Yep. And that was that's That's what we meet Tuttle for the first time is the, the, the air conditioning goes out in Sam's apartment and it's super fucking hot, so he calls right. the 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 Ministry of Heating and Cooling or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, Central Services. Central Services, right? Yeah. And uh and of course, he gets caught up in like a phone tree and shit and can't fucking right. do it. But Robert De Niro, who plays Tuttle, which is the, when amazing. I realized it was Robert De Niro because I knew nothing about the right. movie. And then you you hear his voice. You see, he comes in. Like, and is then that he, Robert De Niro? He pulls his mask down, and I still didn't get it for a second. Yep. I didn't recognize him. And then at one point, he turns and he does that like Robert De Niro like downturn of the mouth, and the, I'm like, oh my fucking god, Tuttle Robert is Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> But all he did is he intercepted the call. Right. He's like, somebody needs their AC. And he shows up like Batman. I was just going to say, he's like a superhero. He's a superhero, yeah. but all he does is fixes fixes the air conditioning. Right. He's not killing people or exploding well, people. He's not exploding people, Max. I, he's not blowing their hearts up. No, he sure isn't. But I love when he, he comes into the... he's He comes in with a gun. Yes. And it's because... People have tried to set up heating and cooling ambushes to capture this rogue heating and cooling guy who's classified as a terrorist by the Ministry of Information. So he comes in and he finds the problem. This is another, I think, crucial part of the Tuttle arc is he finds the problem in Sam's heating and cooling system. And Sam goes, can you fix it? And he goes, no. Nope. But I can bypass it. (laughs) Right. I can bypass it. And that'll ostensibly fix your problem. And you get the sense that he's... The heating and cooling guys, the central service guys who come in. No, the Bob Hoskins and Bob. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bob Hoskins and uh, da, 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 da. Oh, the guy that plays the devil in the other guy, uh, yeah, in, in Time Bandits. So he, they pop in. By the way, their characters are the, amazing. That, that the actual central services between those two guys. Yeah, yeah, the performance where Bob Hoskins says something and the other guy mutters the exact same thing, even if they're nowhere near each other in the room, he'll mutter. You can still hear he mutters, him mutter it. Yeah. And it's like the delay is not like Bob Hoskins stops, this guy starts. It's Bob Hoskins is almost done and this guy starts. Music, yeah. There's a little bit of overlap always. And that is it's it's like a little subtle performance mm-hmm. thing. But as a performer who's done the like you where you try and layer dialogue, that's fucking hard. And they're almost literally Mario and Luigi. It's I know it's so funny, but you get the sense that when those central heating guys come in. Or central services guys right. come in, they would find the problem, but they can't just bypass it. Nope. That's not regulation. That so, would be a mountain of paperwork. So they would probably either not fix his shit, or they'd put in like a work request and it wouldn't get fixed for like months and months, months and months and months. Yes. It takes Robert De Niro like 30 seconds. Yep. He puts this little bypass valve on and you realize that in a world where everyone must strictly adhere to the rules and str- not only strictly adhere to the rules, but like wade through form after form after form and cross every T and dot every I nothing really gets done that's not an efficient way to live right you need a little (laughs) bit of like wiggle room and flexibility 
And then we see a world in which a totalitarian rigidity to the order of law and the rule of law becomes counterproductive to society. Yeah. This is crazy. Isn't it nuts, right? Because I feel like the the reason all of that bureaucracy is in place to make sure that everything runs smoothly and there's no questions, no mistakes are made. Right. But then it, it, it fails. It's like a self-fulfilling sort of like it's, it's doomed to fail just because of how many departments there. So it's, it's, it, or, 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 or it's meant to fail to keep people more, uh, keep people down, keep people down. Well, then there's the, there's something really interesting kind of along. It's not really along the lines of doublespeak, but it's doublespeak in a way where there's a, it's not, and we don't see a political party like we see in movies no. like Be for Vendetta in 1984. I mean, also both books, but right. <laughs> we're, t- we're on a movie podcast. God damn it. But, um, there's a sense. I like that ringtone. There's a sense that, um, the, in, the, the government we don't see the government. We just see this information ministry primarily. But right. we get a sense that they are saying one thing to the populace and the reality is wildly different. Yes. But when you see the people, the people seem to... Oh, you know what? There's two strata of people, though. The rich people, which is Sam's world because his mom is fabulously his mom is wealthy. super rich. The right. rich people all go with that veneer. Mm-hmm. But the real people, the, the people who are not part of the you know central services or part of the information society or people who have gotten out like Tuttle um, they live they recognize the realities of the world um, I think the the big one that that I get come to is the da, 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 the truth shall make you free yeah that sculpture uh, by the way, this that sculpture of the angels is one of the most fucking beautiful things I've ever seen, and I think Dave McKean and Neil Gaiman reference it in their film Mirror Mask, oh, which we should watch at some point oh, if you haven't seen. Oh it. no, I've seen Mirror Mask. Okay, yeah, Mirror Mask is killer. And then there's another sign that says "Suspicion breeds confidence," <laughs> and that how fucked yeah. up is that? Because when you think about it, and also we're all in this together as a big sign that gets repeated a lot but when you and what i love is we're all in this together but then when you hear tuttle say it you realize that it means two different things completely when the government says it's like we're all in this hey we're all in this together like so everybody do your part we've got a you've got a you know you are all cogs and if you stop turning we all stop turning right but when tuttle says it it's like Look, the, we're all getting fucked over, right. so we have to band together. We gotta, we gotta take care of backs, each other, right. right? So one is like you need to fulfill your function, and the other one is you need to take care of your fellow man. Yeah. But it's the same phrase. When I saw suspicion breeds confidence, mm-hmm. the first thing I thought is cease. If you see something, say something, and I was like, Oh, oh my shit. god. This is real life I'm watching. This, this is, not, is happening I'm now. Like, this is not escapist fiction. This is just yeah. like like a slightly weird looking version of 2018. Mm-hmm. I was in the Chicago Transit Authority a couple years ago, um, <clears throat> had, had a home to visit, and I took a big train ride. And every screen was playing some variation of, if you see any suspicious behavior, find your nearest right. you know, Chicago Transit Have you been in charge of your officer. luggage the entire time? Has anyone had... Yeah. Well, it wasn't It wasn't so much that. That's what... It struck me watching it because it wasn't like, watch out for your own luggage. Oh, it was watch out for watch other out people Watch out for shit. other people. Right. It wasn't... Because if it had been like, you know, take care of your luggage. I'm like, You're okay, like, okay yeah, take, take care of my luggage. luggage. Makes sense. But all these videos it's and all these watch signs... watch other people's shit. Yeah, it was... 
I'm dude. It was the most eerie thing I've ever seen because I I hadn't been in an airport or in a a, tra- a big transit place for a long time. But every screen was like it wasn't about make sure that you know what you're carrying. It was if you see anyone doing anything looking shady. Go and tell someone You know what was really fucked up wow. Is it happened twice In two hours While I was in that transit Waiting for my next train Where people Where um, two Like security guards Would walk up to someone From opposite sides And they'd be like Excuse us sir We need to So you know it was a call made Not that Because if they're Well uh, Not necessarily Because with, there was always Like three or four Transit cops In like Because there's a lot of It's big rooms That uh, sort of Branch off to platforms Oh sure sure So they'd be like In corners And you'd you'd What I got the sense Was like Someone in the earpiece Was like Alright guy Red hat Over by the fountain And then two of them Would flank the dude It was really eerie Because they'd come Like wolves Yeah And they'd get up Next to the guy And be like oh, Excuse us sir We need you to come And he'd be like what? Why what are you talking about? Why do you need, sir? You need to stop making a scene immediately. And I saw two people literally escorted, and what was really strange is like looking around. These are just people like commuting, right? Nothing fucking weird is happening. Nope. But when you're surrounded by video screens and posters that are like, if you see, anything, you're surrounded by terrorists. Right. Pick out as many as you can. It's, it's literally suspicion. It, it almost sets you up confidence. to like, do you feel like you haven't done your job as a citizen if you haven't? Pointed somebody out And yeah something. And you know what The worst part was Is the people that and, and it's not the worst part But the people who were getting Like Not gra- They weren't grabbed they were, I mean right. the, the The body bags in this Are They literally haunt me That in this movie That oh, we're talking in about In yeah. Brazil That where they They like slap that body bag And then they lock the thing Around your neck And the legal system Is just you on a conveyor belt Yeah Oh my god That's <laughs> fucking so spooky dude Yeah But it was always people Who had tattoos Or someone had like An eyebrow ring They fit a particular Um the our culture says shady, shady, or right? Whatever. If but, you're wearing a hoodie, if you have tattoos, if you're like right, right. But you know, like the the dangerous. I now I'm generalizing again, but like the the da- like they say that spies are the people that you forget the second you see them. Oh, absolutely. Like you just want to look normal, and probably a terrorist is not going to walk in with like a leather jacket and a face tattoo uh, that says "Death to America." No, no, he's going to like come in in like a like a cheap suit. He might be walking. He might be walking in with a with a wife on his arm and two kids. And one in the stroller Right but like These You get Like, like these old women See a dude with like A face tattoo And they're like I saw a terrorist right. Over by the fountain And it's weird Because this This culture Of like You know The truth shall make you free Suspicion breeds confidence And yeah. like We're all in this together It turns Society Against, Into police Yeah where yeah. we pol- we're we're policing ourselves. Oh, it's so. But that's a fight That's a weird So you want Ultimately you want Your fellow human being to be safe right Right. yeah i want my friends to be safe i want my family to be safe so but there is some sort of like if i see somebody like loading a a truck with bombs or something i'll be like (laughs) that's wrong right or some if you do see something like that's super suspicious like that's a shotgun you should probably say something right 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 but we've gone too far right it's like where we're almost looking for it instead Mm -hmm. of so if they see something, say something, I get it. You know, it's like we should be responsible human beings and like looking out for each other in some yeah. way. But then it's too much when you're like, you're always looking for it. Like, or, I, or, or then because not all people are good people. Yeah. So some people will use that as an excuse to call out other people and like, 
and, and just cause trouble for people. Well, I mean, or... just recently we had the the woman that called uh, the police on the the black family that was having a barbecue or whatever. What I hadn't heard that. Oh, you haven't seen that? I've, I heard about the uh, the the black man in Starbucks who got oh. arrested for loitering, and he was waiting to go to a business meeting. Yeah, because he was a lawyer or something, and like yeah. yeah. But so, they're like, there's a black man, and he's in the Starbucks. No, there was there was some woman that, that called the police on uh, a family that was like having a barbecue. And like they were just having a barbecue, but they're like, so there's all these memes right now, like black black people having fun is like, no, <laughs> it's like what the fuck? But that's like the same sort of. It's so like, basically some I I don't know the story, but like some racist old lady just so called. She's like, yeah, just called the police and they're like, they, I don't know what they're doing, but it can't be good. And like you need to bring. So these people got harassed for having a fucking barbecue. Wow. But it's sort of the same. So see something, say something. It's like, if you are a not good human being, you could use that as a green light to, like, fuck with people. That's, weirdly, this happened to me and my family when we were, um, when I, I was living up in Hubble. And you were living in the Hubble. I was living in the Hubble tape space telescope. Great view. No, I was. Uh, there's a town called Hubble in the Upper Peninsula. But uh, I was living up there, and my dad worked all day, and my mom, uh, my mom usually worked at. She was like a substitute teacher, so we got off school. My brother and I. Mm-hmm. I was probably ten or eleven. I was probably eleven. Probably ten or eleven, which would make my brother like six ish. So we got done. We walked home from school. You know, the the bus dropped us off and we walked to our house and mom was just getting done. So she was about 15 minutes behind us. So my brother and I, me about 10, him about six, were home alone for about 15 minutes. And then my mom got home. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next morning, a police officer showed up at our house. The next morning. The next morning. Um, because and he came in and he's like, look, we got we have to uh, it, 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 Follow was a police, up on it, or whatever. it was a police officer and a person from child protective services Jesus. and they interviewed my brother and I and they interviewed my mom and they my dad was home because it was a weekend and they were like okay so we just want you to know like someone did report you uh they said that you were leaving your children home alone for hours on end and like you had uh, like sometimes abandoned your children for a few days and it was all fucking just not true at all we'd been home about 15 minutes and my mom was always really careful to never leave us home alone right because she's not because she's like like a good mom yeah she's not because she's like paranoid about getting in trouble but because she's like i don't want my babies home alone but she was late one day right and we found out that my mom we didn't get along very well with our neighbors shit went kind of sideways they built like a 20 foot fence that blocked my mom's view of the sunrise and the best part is they only built it in a 15 foot section just specifically to to block the sunrise but um anyway the cop was like uh yeah so we realized that this call was completely bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> so and mom's like, can you can I can you just tell me who called? Like, why would anyone do this? And he goes, uh, ma'am, I, oh, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. It is anonymous who made the call. I do have to use your bathroom, though. So where's your bathroom at? And mom's like down the hall. So he's like, I'm just going to leave this here. And he set the file down open on our kitchen table uh-huh. and went to the bathroom. For like 10 minutes Snoop. and then came back and he's like, well, everything seems to be in order. Yeah. So mom read it and it was our neighbor. Yeah. Our neighbor called Child Protective Services and was like, and she beats them and she leaves them alone. And the, the social. The fuck the, is wrong with people? Yeah. Man. The, the lady from Child Protective Services was like, are you OK? Like, how are you kids doing? I'm like, my mom's great. My mom's awesome. She doesn't give me enough graham crackers, though. You right. Yeah. <laughs> like that type of right, shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like this, this is a thing. Yeah. And I, to go to your point about 
taking it too far. Mm-hmm. I think there's a line. There's a there's a middle ground somewhere between neighborhood watch and police state surveillance no. state. Yep, absolutely. Totally fine with neighborhood watch. Not okay with police state. Because like, we're hearing more and more shit nowadays about like um you know there's that there's that thing that they always tell you about your laptop, which is you know your camera your and your always mic on. are always on. Yeah. And there's there was the, that WikiLeaks thing about you know just so you know the NSA can activate anyone's cell phone and now your mic is a bug. It could be on right now. You don't even know it. Right. So like yeah. yeah. At any point, if you have an electronic device with a microphone that has any kind of signal, whether it's data or Wi-Fi, like that, they can just listen to that. Yep. So that's the world that we are genuinely actually living in right now. V for Vendetta addresses it in the context basically of critiquing the Patriot Act post 9/11. Yes. This movie. Does it as a weird, like, just natural extension of the way things, the way that things were going, we're going when this then. film was made. And we are coming to its ultimate conclusion, or we're in the middle of that. Like, Yeah. There's a, I mean, you hear people, and it's easy to say stuff like, oh, that's just crazy conspiracy. That's just a crazy conspiracy. But there's people out there who are like, just so everyone's on the same page, we're all under constant surveillance. Yes. In some form or just other. Just in case you're not aware. Even you if are. it's, yeah, if it could be your metadata, like your text messages, your yep. phone calls, your emails, like, just so you know. And even if you are, if you are completely off the grid, you don't have a cell phone. Like you've been really cautious about your shit. Right. You're on, you're, you're everywhere. There's CCTVs. The buddy that you're standing next to, his phone is on. His phone's on. Exactly. (laughs) You can be, unless you're living in the middle of the woods somewhere. Oh, even that you have satellite surveillance and shit and like, right. And where bears. And there's uh, where bears. (laughs) Where bears. Terrifying. I know. Um, And then, yeah, it's. And then there's, I, I like, I've, I like this new trend we have of talking about the, r- the real world in context of films. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. Well, that's sort of the, what film does though, especially with movies like Brazil, where it's yeah. holding a mirror up to nature and it's showing you like, it's a cautionary tale in some ways, but it's also just plain old fantasy and escapism. But there is a, there is a reason for it. It's a, it's 1984 and a half, it right? It is. It's but, a. So it's it's hard to talk about a movie like Brazil and not talk about where we are in 2018. Mm. Um, we're not going to come home from watching the Avengers Infinity War and have a huge conversation about police states and, and the difference between neighborhood watch. And, <laughs> you know, it's but a movie like this will bring up those questions. And it's a very um, that's why these movies are made and why I think people should watch them and talk about them. Yeah. Period. You don't have to agree with what we're saying. We're not actually putting an opinion out there. We're just stating things. And I don't think that what we're saying is as strange as I... Don't take me away. Not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, I just love and respect everything the NSA does. Hardworking. I mean, they're people. They're human beings, too. That's important to remember. But I'm not even joking. It's like there are people that work in these organizations that are human beings. And like it's like a job that they have to do. Yeah. But I mean, you don't necessarily have to agree with the fact that like... Like what right. our government is doing is like at the end of the day, there's like there's Joe Schmo and Jane Schmo that have to like punch a clock and like the, they might the, fucking hate their jobs. There are too. people like, who need yeah <laughs> who are after the health care or yep. who want a career or who are looking for a pension plan, yep. especially in an economic recession. Like mm-hmm. a government job, and is government a good, jobs safe have thing. really good like. Unless, you know, the government shuts down because Congress is a bunch of children right. and then no one gets paid until they start. But the I think government people forget that, too, though. It's like the this, this government entity, our families and people, too. It's yeah. weird, right? It's like, yeah. fuck. Well, my dad works for the government. Yeah. And my dad has a government job. Yeah. 
<laughs> like he's yeah. Really. Your mail got delivered to uh, this week, right? Uh, Government employee. Yeah, there you go. Like the post office. Yep. Yeah, right. Like it's it's the um. You familiar at all with the Oklahoma City bombings, Timothy McVeigh? Mm-hmm. So Timothy McVeigh, one of his big things was he picked that building because there were so many government workers in it, and he he was a huge Star Wars fan, and he thought what he was doing like was something Death like Star. blowing up the Death yeah. Star. And he knew when they interviewed him, he knew there were innocent people in there, but he literally referred to them. It was just government, like, like office Empire. workers. He said that there were yeah. He's like they made the choice to work for the evil empire, and it's easy to turn like people into. Uh, adversaries Mm -hmm. but they're not they're people right like we are all the hero of our own story if you can get into someone else's head like no one is out okay maybe not no one but like right the majority of people if you just pop into their perspective they're not wringing their mustache and trying to think of ways to destroy the world they're just thinking about like oh shit I forgot to get milk right or like ah man I just I'm worried about making the house payment this mm-hmm. month Ugh, maybe we I forgot breakfast this morning I need to be better about eating breakfast right every or day. like it's the most important I need to people. use that gym membership right more. yeah like everyone thinks like we do we are not all like you know like I understand the my unique perspective in this evil monolithic government that's built of people but I also think that there are a good percentage yeah. of people that do though and those are the assholes that call child protective services and the police on your mom right not everyone's good but everyone is someone Right. That's true, too. It's so yeah, it's 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 weird. But this is what like uh, like living in the world is. Is you can't reduce people to like your so like so like the 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 a common sort of or a mistake or a mistake of, right like fucking Jack <laughs> like, does yeah exactly kills an, he kills an innocent man and he's like oh it's it's just you know like ah wow what an inconvenience that my right yeah, <laughs> my know? paperwork got messed up so so speaking of that character Jack so yes. that's Michael Palin. Okay. Who is, you're not like the biggest Monty Python fan, right? Have you seen like... See, I, we talked about this. I recognize almost everyone, right. but like I don't where, know where from. So Michael Palin, Jack. Okay. That was a huge departure for him playing this dark, like he he's the torturer of people in yeah. this. Like he is the government's uh, scalpel, essentially, right? He's the... He's the one that's going to get the information from them or make them brain dead or whatever. Right. And you get the sense he kind of likes his job a little bit. Mm. But so Michael Palin is he's one of the pythons. He's like John Cleese or Eric Idle. He's before watching this movie, you're used to seeing him in like Monty Python's Flying Circus or or the Holy Grail. It's like and to see him in such a dark role as this. Yeah. You're like, holy fuck, Michael Palin. But I. I I almost I didn't know he was part of Monty Python, mm-hmm. but I thought that in particular the scene where we find out that he's the man in room five zero zero one, right, um, was very Python esque. I think it makes sense to me. You remember in the Meaning of Life when they the uh, organ donor the people organ, come here for your liver, yeah, right, <laughs> and they come back and they like they take that dude's liver and he's yeah. still alive. As Michael Palin's one of the the surgeons pulling the liver out, that, right? I would say that's shockingly dark. The wife is back yeah. there like offering them tea and they've got the paperwork all in order so yeah. they're just going to take his liver now and they they're he's screaming the whole time. Like blood curdling screams. Like and it gets weaker and weaker and there's blood and they're pulling unnecessary organs uh, yeah. out and throwing <laughs> yep. them. And one guy is very like he's just talking with the wife making conversation and then later he sings about the meaning of life in the universe which is mm-hmm. that is an amazing film but i think this is a very is terry gilliam british no he's the american of the pythons 
Terry Gilliam? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I would say that this scene with with that character, Jack, the uh, Michael Palin character, is is British humor. Dark yeah. British humor. It's very, it's satirical. It's like stunningly satirical. Um, there's a couple of moments here where I thought about drone pilots, and this is one of them, where we come in and he's got these devices on his head and he's moaning. Because he's fucked he's up. He's fucked up, yeah. Like, he's, his job is to torture people. And he's sitting there and he's like... Massaging oh, his head, yeah. Over by the mirror. And mm-hmm. later, we see him cover the microphone and he's like, you stupid bastard. What, what have you, you done? Why did yeah. you do... And he's like, I'm so scared, Jack. And he's like, how do you think I feel? And then he uncovers the mic and he's like, we have a professional relationship. Like, there's little moments where, it's, again, it's veneer... In reality, in reality, where he, for all intents and purposes, he dresses up in his nice suit and he walks home and he's got triplets, you know, like, yep. say hi to the twins for me. It's triplets. It's triplets. It's triplets now. Yes, how time flies. That's such a <laughs> funny fucking joke where, no, it's it's still the same children we're talking You're about. Right, yeah. You just made a mistake, but oh, time, time flies. flies. Like, now it's triplets. No, that's, that's not how babies work. Right. <laughs> but no, like, on the surface, he's a calm, comported, professional mm-hmm. man with a family. Nope, mommy's coming soon. Like... But when you you see snippets of the real Jack where he's haunted and he's breaking down in the corner and mm-hmm. then in comes Sam and, oh, hello, Sam. It's good to see you. Yeah. And he's right back to professionalism. We see it again when he has to interrogate. Well, when he realizes when, when he's walking down the, the, the gangway and realizes that it's Jack or that it's Sam sitting there, you see him he s- freaks the fuck out. Yeah. He stops and he turns stops. back. He doesn't know. He's trying to grab his torture implements and he can't like, he, ba- yeah, he, he fumbles he, he them. He like bangs into, yep. it's, that is, um, it's great, great performance because again, he is, he's a funny actor mm-hmm. and the stuff, the satirical stuff where he's like just brushing off killing a guy mm-hmm. or brushing off like forgetting his daughter's name. You know, like she, he repeatedly does it. He calls yeah. her like uh, Barbara and she's like, I'm Penny. And he goes, oh, so you are. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yes, of course you are. but there's just, there's those funny moments, but then to his, to the, to his credit as a, as a great actor, there's moments where he, like when he reaches for his implements and bangs fumbles the, the tray, yeah. and his hands are shaking. And he picks one up and turns, and Sam starts begging him not to do this. It's and like, he, Jack, Jack. He covers that microphone from that moment until he uncovers the microphone. He's he's actually Jack, right? Yeah, we yeah. see we see a, a a man who is as scared as a. His face is covered too by his own arm, like you right. Don't he pulls see the mask up but covers the thing, and yeah. So his whole performance there is voice at that moment. Yep. It's it's body language and voice, but the voice it it ripped my heart out because Jack is scared he doesn't want to do this and then he uncovers the mic and now and he's, he's all back. business again it's fucking haunting so i think um can we really quick can we yeah, jump to ahead. the scene when he's covered in blood and he's sure like, oh to, yes it's like because that to me, that is the bit that seems python-esque to me which mm-hmm. is he turns around and he's in a nice office and his coat is covered in blood <laughs> and he's like oh sam how are you today and he's stripping his jacket off and then we we stay tight on that angle and then we hear Daddy, <laughs> and we realize that his daughter his is in the, in the room, like playing yep. with blocks. Go oh, on, don't put, worry, mommy, you'll be here soon. Go and put it on, big boy. I won't look at you, wee wee. Like, <laughs> that's so Python. It's ridiculous. Yes, and I didn't know that Terry Gilliam was of the Pythons. Mm-hmm. So also, this yeah, makes more the, sense. So any any time in in any Monty Python thing that you see art, like he's the artist. He does all of the weird like. 
like the angels and the cherubs and the, all that so he, like weird monster oh he's stuff. a visual he's, artist he's a visual artist so is he the he's the uh, holy grail cover artist i yeah. assume all the all yeah. the pythons in the holy grail yeah. okay yeah. cool so he does that so he was and then of course he he writes and directs and, and acts sure. in a lot of them but uh he was primarily their like their their artist for everything see i this I, when we did the um the two Oh my God! I'm blanking on his name, Jim Jarmusch. When we did the two, oh, wow. I know it's it's early for me. It's fair enough. It's been a long week. Yeah, Carl. yeah, we lost a week, buddy. <laughs> but uh, no, when we did the Jarmusch episodes, I got a text from you at one point where you were you basically just said like, "Thank you so much for introducing yeah. me to Jim Jarmusch." Yep. When I st- I obviously didn't get to watch it all in one right. sitting, but when I started this movie, I made it about halfway through. I immediately went. To Amazon, I opened Terry Gilliam's Wikipedia page yep. on my phone. Didn't haven't got a chance to get to any of it yet, but I've discovered a, the new director that I'm going to become awesome. fascinated with. This movie's incredible. We watched a lot of incredible movies, yeah, but this movie pushes a certain set of buttons that goes back to when I'm like 14, and I had just discovered. Uh, in comic books it was called the british invasion mm-hmm. it happened in the early 90s and it's all those british vertigo this terry gilliam to me the buttons he presses are the alan moore buttons yeah the sandman neil, gaiman, neil buttons, gaiman buttons grant morrison early grant morrison like it's that that like subversive dark deeply satirical and not satirical in like a that flippant american no, satire not at all. It's that <laughs> this is acerbic criticism mm-hmm but he makes it funny in the way that only the Brits can, even right. though he's though American. He's American yeah. But like he's he's this guy is pushing those buttons, and I fucking love it. That's awesome. I'm really really excited to watch oh, the Adventures sweet. of Baron Munchausen. Dude, it's great. I, I almost feel like in the interim, if you have time, you should throw Time Bandits in there just so you can have like the perspective. We could do that as like a, a bonus episode somewhere. I think it's okay. important to because this is a trilogy. Of, yeah, you know, to, but you don't have to watch them in order, which is great because they're completely separate right. ideas. Um, it's just each story tells a different. There's, you know, you know the, the the fascination with the Muppets that everyone has. I don't really have it. Do you? I don't know. I enjoy like the Muppets, like the Treasure Island or whatever. No, I mean, I I love the Muppets Christmas Carol. I like the original show. And like, I have a, I think Jim Henson was an amazing genius, genius. And like the dark crystal, I think is, I'm more of a fan of like the dark crystal. This felt like the dark crystal to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. But no, um, there is definitely a, a, a an obsession with like the Muppets yeah. and like, the Sesame Streety so kind of stuff. I've never gotten that. Mm-hmm. Just like I kind of, I'll admit it right here, I don't get the the fascination and the like. Oh, you've got to see Pee Wee's Playhouse or the Pee Wee's oh, Big, Big Adventure or whatever. This is a fun romp, whatever. It's just like a basic comedy. I've it's watched it and I just don't. I don't get it. It yeah. doesn't hit for me. But the Muppets it's thing, Tim Burton's first movie. My buddy Mike, Mike Rutecki, Time Bandits is his favorite film. Yeah, you were saying that. Of like of all time. Yeah. And every time I look at pictures and I'm I see like the now I th- seeing Brazil, I think I am going I, I'm I understand a little bit more what that movie must be, mm-hmm. but I always avoided it because to me, I was like is this this is like an offshoot of the Muppets obsession. Oh, it isn't at all. No, I know. Yeah. I, I I'm getting okay. that yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah. that now, but like I always avoided it because I was I don't like I think there's a single Muppet in it. No, but uh, just Oh, but the, that sort of it had that. It looked like that. It had like, that, like labyrinthy that, kind yeah, yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It had that. I love labyrinth. Right. Absolutely love labyrinth. But it had that feel to me, so I always just avoided it because. And also, when I, it was the wrong time in my life, I was just 
balls deep in Tarantino films <laughs> right. and watching The Godfather it's every like, other day. I don't want to watch some like young kid having an adventures yeah. with with little people. I'm watching like, yeah. I'm watching Road to Perdition and I'm watching Jude Law take pictures of corpses and I'm like and, he, and then Mike is like Time Bandits, dude. It's like this adventure <laughs> comedy. And I'm like, no, Whoa, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, keep talking to me about music, but your your taste in movies is clearly subpar. It was uh, yeah. so bad, but um. This the the signs. Th- this is a set design note. Mm-hmm. Moving back to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. When we first meet Tuttle, and he is removing the screws on the wall. Oh yeah, with that huge like the like awesome like awesome push pull screwdriver. Yeah, yeah. I I noticed on the wall like the Gilliam's visual humor and his visual references to other scenes in this movie is. Amazing! It creates this visual lattice work. In other movies, a lot of times, like the plot, and we've talked about some like large idea mm-hmm. stuff. This movie is like you don't want to miss a frame. No. And there's a there's a little sign on the wall in Sam's house that says "Do not touch" on his wall. On his wall. And you're like, oh, no. so at like it, because the way that this world works is those rules. Are, like rules are everything. Yes. Like everything is a violation of everything else, and you get the you get the you realize that this isn't even really his space. No, it isn't. It's his. It's his apartment. It's his domicile. And yes. It's not his fucking space. No, it's four walls. He can't touch anything. And central uh, central Ugh. services is able to just requisition his apartment. Oh, they do. Yeah. They give him a receipt for it, and they're like, "Well, you don't live here anymore. You don't live here Here's anymore. your receipt. Bye. Bye." And they kick him out, and it's not his apartment anymore. It's like. Even though his mom is rich and he's like ostensibly friends with like the head of information, paperwork doesn't allows, matter. Yeah, yep. n- like nothing. Everything is transient. No, there is no permanence. It's that weird thing that you were talking about at the beginning, where everything is removed from everything else. Yep. It's like you can't. And I mean, you, oh my god, I just realized when he's in the truck with Jill, mm-hmm. what infuriates her is that sh- he touched her. Yes, like even. And eventually they get past that, but like right. even but the physical, physical contact, contact yeah. is like stunning. Even the food is removed from the food. It's like so they have the the when they're at the it's restaurant, the veneer and the it's reality. The veneer the reality. It's like the picture of the of the beautiful steak, and then it's that weird like it's mashed food. It's and one thing I noted about that, which is I think really important. Everything that they eat looks like beef tartare of yes. various colors. Yes, but. I think it's important that they serve. They don't just serve you the food. They serve you the picture. The picture on top. Yeah, it's in a little spindle on the right. Yeah. So what you get is literally like a face, a, a formless glob. But at eye height on every plate is a picture of the food you're supposed to be eating, eating or whatever. Right. So they're they're not just serving you the food. They're serving you the fantasy. The fantasy of that. Yeah. That's so <laughs> fucking smart. This movie is so well thought out. There's not. Nothing is, I don't think anything is really, there's a lot of like fun throwaway stuff like the triplets, twins joke. Oh sure, but that's all, that's not world building, but it's it's giving you the sense of these people are real. Well, and as a visual, as him as a visual artist, he's, what he's doing is he's like fleshing out the little background details yeah, exactly. that, that add to the full picture. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fleshing it out, it's giving it life. And one of the things that I really, really loved was, you remember when he goes to deliver the refund check to Mrs. Buttle? Yeah, and she's being a human and and crying. The disconnect between the two of them Mm -hmm. is stunning, where she's, what have you done with his body? And she's I just want to know what happened to his body. And he's trying to get her to sign forms. And when she... 
it's weird because you see that Sam, some part of Sam wants to break out of this world. He doesn't, he's not happy where he is. He, he, he sees that something's wrong, Mm -hmm. but he, he has those reflexive where she's like, you people arrested him wrongly. He's like, well, actually that was a different department. department. It's not not me. Not really my, and then what did you do with his body? He goes, not my department, ma'am. I'm just really here to just deliver the check. But the fact that he wanted to hand deliver the check anyway, you can see that conflict in him where some part of him's like, I'm going to make a human connection. Because this is a, this is the right thing to do regardless of whether it's the correct thing to do according to our paperwork. And what he, I think what he realizes when he's there is he goes out and he's like, I'm going to go Make do a, a good thing but and also make a human connection right. and then when he gets to the point of making a human connection he doesn't have the tools to do it nope so he falls because back on his because because he's seeing a real woman who just lost her husband who was in mourning a deep state of mourning still in shock right and screaming at him where's my husband's body and then attacked by her son yes and like that that he's he has no he went from in his mind being the hero doing you know i'm gonna break out of this thing i'm gonna be a good human being and he's feeling good about himself doing it and then uh, yeah he doesn't have the tools to handle it well it's crazy in his in his dreams he's flying he's and an he's angel f- of of like yeah he's, and he's he fights against the you know like various um dreamlike representations of the the system that's the system holding him down yeah. which is like um you know, like his boss, uh, the Ian, what's his name? The Ian actor? Holm. Ian Holmes, like a rock monster that's keeping him grounded, yep. like holding him back. And we see like, you know, he has to fight his way through the faceless masses to get to that, which he desires. But then I think it's also really telling that when he has that big fight with the samurai and pulls the mask off, we have mm-hmm. that like Luke in the Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back, Back moment where he realizes he is the samurai. Yep. And that is what we see. There's two times. One, there's probably more, but two that I really remember when he delivers the refund check and then later when he first meets Jill and she's like, get out of my car, get out of my car. Get, okay, so I need you to get try. out of my cab. And he's like... As an officer of the intelligence retrieval instrument, I'm placing you under arrest now. Driver, I'll blow your fucking head off. <laughs> yeah. And you realize that he, in his head, just like all of us, he wants to be the hero. He knows what he should do. He knows that his dreams are lofty and he aspires to them. Right. But at the same time, he is a government employee. He is working for this monolith. He is in a weird way. I'm going to just, I mean, I'll use the term as a broad stroke, but sure. in a weird way, he is also the villain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like he's part of the system. He's part of the he system. He gets promoted to uh, an even bigger part of that system. Right. Right. So right. it's like, Where, yeah, he literally, he's, hip, he's in the middle of that. He is part of that system. There's a weird duality to the moment when all of the troops have their guns on Jill and he tells them stop. And they all do. Yep. They all stop and turn. Because he is. He's so, wearing the badge. So one part of my brain, it's amazing what that scene accomplishes because one part of my brain watching that, I'm like, oh, this is the moment where like you trick the robots into not killing your friend and now you're going to make your daring escape. Right. And that's what you can tell. That's what's going on in his head. He's yep. like, I'm going to make my daring escape. But then you look at it from Jill's perspective. And she doesn't know who he is. Right. So all she knows is that some high level official who controls all these, you know, jackbooted stormtroopers just said, don't shoot her. And they all and they obeyed all stopped. him. He sees himself as this hero rescuing this damsel. She sees him as a faceless bureaucrat who controls an, yeah. an army. Yeah. And in, you know what's crazy? Both are true. Both are absolutely true at the same time. It's fucking stunning yeah. how good this movie, like how well this movie is built. Now, the, the, the spook who's like hiding in the hallway... 
Yes. There's that hilarious um, visual gag where he looks down and he sees like a, a, a dress shoe and like 50 cigarettes. <laughs> and then you pan up and there's a dude behind like watching around the corner smoking a cigarette. And you realize that he probably hasn't moved. He hasn't moved all day. All day. Just ha- half, half his, his face. <laughs> and like cigarette after cigarette. There's a mountain of cigarettes on the ground. It's so fucking funny. Then later... When he gets to information retrieval and they give him that half an office, the half which office again, he's sharing the desk. So with the guy funny. Next door. The visual, <laughs> the visual humor of that scene is so fucking funny. But in the background is a poster mm-hmm. that's been cut in half by the division of the offices. And it's half of basically that guy. It's the guy in the hat, the trench coat, the like spook oh, looking so guy. It's, half it's of half face. of his face watching Sam's back yep. and you only see half of the thing but I think it's the, the sign is the suspicion breeds confidence yeah, I think sign. It is too. and you realize that Gilliam's not only like referencing um, like that what we've seen visually earlier with that like weird uh, like cloak, weird and, dagger cloak guy, and dagger guy but also that in a weird way so far Sam is like that that Sam is always being scrutinized and that ev- yeah. you realize everybody's being scrutinized the posters are watching you it's like the 1984 thing where Big Brother is watching yeah and they're watching the watchers and the watchers are watching the watchers watching it's like there's it's, constant state of being watched it's insane and everything has a paper trail and mm-hmm. triplicate yeah you know like what would we see when <clears throat> Sam is in uh, Ian Holmes office and he he's like I'll bring this I just need you to sign this sheet Mr. Mr. Holmes and and also the two receipts you know there's the top sheet there's the pink sheet, the pink sheet. there's the yellow sheet. right <laughs> like you get the sense that everyone's gonna get a sheet and by the way I think that when you watch I can't remember his boss's name but when you watch Ian Holmes face mm-hmm. as he's like I, I hurt my hand when he banged his hand oh yeah and I can't like, sign I can't sign limpers what a pathetic creature I am but he's still the boss mm-hmm. and I think there's a reason he's the boss I think he's a crafty clever man yes. because when sam is signing he's almost smiling like because no, later he gets charged sam gets charged with forging an intelligence officer's signature and it's that moment that he's charged with yep so i think ian holmes character wants to keep sam and he's putting that in his back pocket oh absolutely because he can fucking sign his name yeah he's like oh he my could wrist. even scribble yep but he puts on this like, I might as well hang myself now, Sam. Oh, you are too good to me. Oh, Sam, I'm so pathetic. And then he's like, would you? And he's like, I'll sign it for you, sir. And yeah. his fate. Remember Dark Bilbo from uh, <laughs> when Bilbo goes all like, ah. But oh, yes. Dude, there's a total moment where he goes, he has his eyes settle. Mm-hmm. And you realize like, oh, he's not actually flustered. Nope. This not at all. He knows exactly what he is doing. Yeah, so now yeah. he's like, there, Sam forged my signature, and now he's got now one. I've got that. It's that fucking weird, um, have you seen Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Oh, yeah. It's that weird thing. Um, okay, thank you. We have the, it's that weird thing where people oh, oh, who are all ostensibly on the same side are just getting little things bits of it, things on everybody so you've got like it's not like a literal file but you've got your blackmail you've got file, your blackmail file where if you ever need a favor well, well there it is well, you know there was that one time at that christmas party where you got awfully drunk and uh i don't know if you remember but uh i don't know i saw you take 12 pounds out of bill's wallet and yep. anyway would you just sign this for me like it's right one yeah of it's those one of those fucking yep. things and it's awesome oh my god it's so cool i, I just uh, there's everything in here Everything in here is in this movie is so 
it's it's like the Tinker Tailor thing mm-hmm. where I read a, a, an interview with the costumer and the costumer sat down with the director and the screenwriter of Tinker of Tinker Tailor okay. Soldiers by for like it was like a month or more. They did a series of meetings to decide what cut of suit type of suit fabric of suit that everyone would wear whether they'd keep the button buttoned or unbuttoned what if they'd have anything in the buttonhole and every single costuming thing signifies something i love that so much i know it's it's amazing as we've talked about it before it's those things as as a as a viewer or an audience member that you would never know unless you seek out the documentaries right but But it works on you it works on you dude it's like doing table work yeah before you even get into like blocking a scene, it's like you, you'll develop these backstories and you'll have pages upon pages of shit. The audience will never, never be aware about, of, but you can bring, them. but it informs that subtlety or these moments. It's like, I love that. There's a couple. I love that. I love that Winona Ryder <laughs> is, is, is the guy. Hank, yeah. like. <laughs> well, there's a couple, um, the, the, and all of the, it wasn't just like a, okay, here's something that we're going to do. The actors right. were made aware. So there's scenes in Tinker Taylor where a lot of people just glaze over where it's just a bunch of old men sitting around a table talking, mm-hmm. but you can watch Gary Oldman note the cufflinks um, that, you know, Ke- uh, not Kenneth Branagh, the uh, other famous King speech. Oh, uh, Colin Firth. Colin Firth. You can, because we ultimately find out, and I'm jumping to Tinker Taylor briefly. We find out that Colin Firth has been cheating with Smiley's mm-hmm. wife. Right. So he notes what, Colin Firth is wearing and you can see uh, you can see actors noting ties you can yeah. see actors noting like the check that they're wearing that day and making assessments and, and that would not have been there otherwise when you when you watch <laughs> when you watch the scene more closely you realize they're not just talking yeah. everyone is testing yeah. everyone else yeah. I fucking so, love that it's so <clears throat> good but um god I love movies and actors and people <laughs> and things um when I started watching Brazil it vacillated it oscillated back and forth between what i thought was like a critique of a police state because the first thing we see is these terrorist attacks it's a ruthless minority mm-hmm. and you're like oh my god like like how muslim americans are being persecuted right, right. now and i'm like I'm okay i'm about okay i got it i'm about to watch um i'm about to watch v for vendetta but like directed by terry gilliam and then we get to uh Sam's Sam's office and the moment Bilbo Baggins you know (laughs) closes the door everyone fucking gets to the nearest screen and they all start start watching watching a a movie a a western yeah and then we know they're watching a western and Ian Holm gets suspicious and walks over and opens the door but everyone's bustling they're like everyone's so on point the music cuts out and then they close the door (laughs) and then opens it and everyone's and then later there's the tag on joke where the, he left the door open and he goes, boss is getting suspicious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's an even better tag on joke where Sam knows that that's what we do is like, yeah. what's playing today? And he goes, Casablanca. Casablanca. <laughs> like he is. That's what they do at work is they watch, they watch movies. movies. And then he covers for his coworkers. As Sam is leaving the office, we hear Casablanca playing in the background and Sam knows the line that's coming up. So he says, he says to Ian Holm. 
here's looking at you to cover the line delivery and then closes the door really quick. It's so fucking. So then I'm like, oh, now I'm watching a British comedy of manners. Yes, exactly. And then all of a sudden we get, you know, suspicion breeds confidence. And I'm like, wait, no, it is V friend. It is V friend. I've got it. I've got it. It's living in it's living in so many worlds at the same time. It does. And which is why I love Gilliam movies in the first place is why he's like in my top three. And it's just a fantasy film. It's brilliant. Yeah. And as a neo-noir, like almost like pseudo crime noir film. Yeah. It's brilliant as well. It's a mistaken identity thing. It's like the whole, all those there's pieces a, are there. There's, there's a there's Hitchcock a hit- film in the yeah. heart of this. Yeah. It's amazing. And then like we get the score changes mm-hmm. where we we've get, we have sci-fi score. I love that almost half of it is, is some variation of the song Brazil. It's peppered in there throughout the entire I heard the score. song pop again and again, and I heard this like music little stings that yep, were from exactly. it. But I didn't notice that. I'll have to watch it yeah. again. But w- one of the things that I noticed is later when he manages to uses the special lift to get up to Heltman's office. Right. And he gets up there. The score starts shifting because now he's in a new suit. He has a trench coat. He has that wide brim fedora. Now he's in a detective yeah, story. Yeah, it changes from like the like bam, 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 bam the fantasy score yep. to like it, it turns into like that weird that like weird soft L.A. noir. Exa- yeah. And then also the second he gets into his office, harsh backlighting, so we get the really stark shadows. Yep. That that fedora silhouette, and then you. This is another moment where Sam becomes hyper competent mm-hmm. where he's like looking through the Heltman's desk and he looks like an American private eye. Yep. He's looking at the desk. Totally cool, calm, collected, knows what he's to looking his for. Left, finds the back room, Mr. Heltman. Mr. And there's no nervousness. He's he's a he's a slick private dick just checking things out. Yep. When he gets to that back room, too, it's this it's amazing because you get the you get the harsh silhouette. Now we're dealing it's not like Sin City harsh, but we're getting the right. those faint like the the crime noir shadows mm-hmm. and he's dressed like a detective and he gets to the typewriter. You know, and he, he real he's like, oh, now now we're in a spy movie. Now we're in a spy movie. Where he's like, I'm gonna make <laughs> Jill dead, and we get that like, yep. The score changes what you're watching. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. You go like, oh, I'm watching a detective film. Now I'm in a spy thriller. Then you go back, and he finds uh, Jill in like her flowing golden thing, and then the score changes, and now we're we are watching, we're watching a sci-fi us. romance, yep. and you're like. It's, how many movies, like how many styles of movie did I just watch oh in the last God, 10 minutes? So good. I love, I'm, this is going back to the beginning of the movie. We jumped around a little bit on, or jumping around a little bit on this, but I like it. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. Well, this movie is very strange. And also, apparently, um, when people watched this movie for the first time, it was in a different in a order. In a different too. order, and some shit was cut out, and yeah. I love a good uh, technology of the future breakfast scene. And this movie has a great yeah, one. with his sort of Rube Goldberg uh, like, breakfasty. Blade Runner has yeah. awesome moments where basically you get the the sense that Ridley Scott was like, mm, okay, set designer, do some fun shit. We'll come right. and film it tomorrow or next week. And then when they come back, you know, it's like, oh, and the cabinet slides out of the wall and the right. eggs are boiling and, you know, or and then Fifth Element. Fifth Element is another oh my amazing gosh, yes. like new technology breakfast scene. I love what people come up Check with. In. <laughs> <laughs> and I, this one in particular, because I'm always a fan of uh, Back to the Future. Yes. I'm always a fan oh my God, of, yeah. brec- of technological breakfast scenes that fuck up. 
where it's With like a fruit thing that comes out of the ceilings there fruit please yeah fruit please <laughs> <laughs> and then this one when the tea when he the tea pours all over his toast and yeah. there's that hilarious bit of physical comedy where he's where he can't get the toast in his mouth because it's cut in the it's, center it's flipping like left and right but can't ever get it into his mouth and then he drinks a glass of sugar yes <laughs> like there's enough tea in there to melt the sugar but then he just drinks like <laughs> sugar and he's like mm, 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 nope not right <laughs> there's something so charming about that i love that and then again there are other i mean the, like we i've been saying the movie's like half comedy half like really paranoid yeah like big brothers watching Absolutely. movie with like fun little accents of other films thrown in but the physical the physical comedy the the python-esque comedy yes. like where his mom's hat is a shoe yes his mom's hat, hat is, is a, a high big heeled, fucking shoe it's a high-heeled shoe yeah and then when you and his mom's best friend, who's constantly going to the the acid, I have an acid man. I so I know you're into plastic surgery, but but she's constantly pr- getting more and more fucked up. <laughs> and yes, he says the next two weeks I'll be just fine. And like, every, every time, time we you see, see her, her, there's more more bandages. bandages. The one point she's actually in a wheelchair. She's like, I love that her right hand is fully bandaged, and two of her fingers yes. on the left hand are individually bandaged. And now her bandages, and she's blind. And she's blind. Yes, she's blind, and her bandages are seeping. Oh, it's and she's so fucking up, gross. She's hooked up to intravenous bags. Yep, and she's like, he says the co- my complications had a few complications. My complications, but he says a- I'll be springing around like a light young spring chicken in no time. And you're like, you're literally melting. You're literally melting. You are melting away to nothing. That's so gross. Who is the Who is the actor who plays? Um, Sam's mom's plastic surgeon. I recognize him. Oh yeah, him. so he was. What do in, I know him from? Um, so have you seen Moulin Rouge? Or I've seen Moulin Rouge, but that's not where so, I know him from. Okay, um, hold on. His yeah. name is Jim Broadbent. Okay, um, he's been in a bunch of stuff, like man. a bajillion um, things. He's yeah, in Gangs like of New, New York. York. Yeah, um, I don't think that's where I know him from no, either. You would probably. I mean, I know him mostly from Moulin Rouge because that's a guilty pleasure movie that I mm. have to watch all the time. The, well, he crops up all over the, the place. The second I saw him, yeah, he's he's often like color character. Yeah, very much so. He was sort of not not that voice. I don't know what that voice was, but it's sort of like but it that, wasn't like, him. But it's like oh, everything's going so well. Right. Like he's very. It's that over type. the top kind of oh you're going to be here for a time or two yeah and like yeah. the oh my god the prosthetics when he's stretching stretching her, her face, face out that that is those prosthetics are so good yeah when he's like he he alligator clips her cheeks back like by her ears and her face is so like distended and distorted yep. and he's like oh just a little trim with the knife here and we're going to cut it back here and then he starts and putting the rouge and the weird makeup on her and shit and what's weird is it's funny and then he puts the plastic wrap over saran her face wraps her saran face. wraps her face and she turns and it becomes horror Horrific. for a moment yeah. and then we're back to like funny and then paranoid and then funny yep. and suspicion breeds confidence but that that Saran wrapped horror. The the obsession with plastic this movie surgery is like a really weird like mental hopscotch. Like yeah, yeah. It's like you're you're yeah you're you're tossing the stone and you're gonna be tap pop pop like you're bouncing in and out of all these really weird genres and 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 laughing in one moment and being completely disturbed in another. Or in, even in the same moment, you're like laughing, but like, why am I laughing? Disturbing. This is really disturbing. It's also disturbing. Yeah. Like, uh, 
yeah, the plastic surgery scenes are like that for me, where I'm just like, I, I love the the acid. Oh, I know you like a knife, Ben, but I'm an acid girl. <laughs> I like it the, in his delusion at the end when he knocks her casket over. She's just she's a all puddle. melted jelly. She's just, yeah, yeah. She's like she's been in a casket of acid, basically, yep. and she's just like, falls on the ground. So um, I have a thought about the end of this movie. Okay, let's jump to the end of this Shall movie. Shall we? Yes. So we already know that that uh, he has his sort of dream sequence that he escapes and lives happily ever the, after. The movie like steps out of reality from yep. the moment where Jack covers the microphone and then starts... He what happens is he covers the microphone. He's like, I'm scared too, mm-hmm. and then he gets shot, shot in the, in the head, head by from by that Tuttle. from right. that moment forward. Everything is in, in his Sam's head. head, right? And we at the end we return to and we it's see like, Sam he's like gone now, right? Jack and uh, Helpman, yeah, yeah, are like, well, he's gone away from us. We've so I think that Jack, that Jack saved him in a way like that. It is his friend, and he did the last good thing that he could possibly do, which is not kill him, and right. and set him up because. He's he's catatonic, but he's living a fantasy where he gets the girl of his dreams, and he's smiling and he's singing Brazil. Like he's got a smile on his face. In a weird way, it was a mercy. In a weird way, it was a mercy. So that's, that's so where I come dark. away from. Yeah, and it is, and that that has to be the answer because you know that Jack is 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 really Jack affected is, when he sees that it's Sam there, and he's the most, and he's stuck. He's stuck. He has to. He has to do what he has right. to do. It's one of Jack is one of the few characters that has a, a human side. I'm yeah. not gonna say a lot of the characters in here are very well used caricatures, right. but they're not human. No, Sam we see duality. Jill mm-hmm. we see some fun duality. Right. Jack is almost the most poignant duality because we see that that I'm like losing it in front of the mirror and I'm oh, I'm sorry I'm just a businessman. Yeah. Why don't you stay away from, and I I think in a weird way when he's like we've always been close, haven't we Sam? Well, until this blows over, stay the hell away from me. I think that that's a warning. Yeah. Oh, like, it definitely is. It's like you are wading into deep water and think about what that could mean. Stay away from me. What's my job at here? Stay away from me. Don't, to torture people right, until like, they break or die. I don't want to see you again until you're good, dude, because you might end up in my chair. In my chair. And like you've he did. seen, yeah. like, I'm just, how do you think I feel? Like, come right. on, man. Yeah. I like that. I like that reading where mm-hmm. Jack sort of, because Jack is a human. Yep. Jack is a real, we see Jack's humanness. Mm-hmm. And you know that he's been doing this forever. He's the guy that the government put in charge to do this. And the only reason that he fucked up the one time was because he got the wrong yeah, the paperwork. Wrong, yeah. Right. So, so he you knows know he's, he's fucking good at his file. job. Yeah. So he would be capable, he'd be capable of, of doing that. So he basically, he knew what, what buttons, buttons to, push. to push yeah, or what pain to inflict or like some, you know, futuristic post hypnotic, but he knew how to push to Sam there. Into his own head. Yeah. And I think that that in a... Oh, God. That's so dark, but in a weird... It's like the sickest happy ending that you've yeah, ever no, seen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's really... And also, I'll say, I will say that this has been the most upsetting... Eraserhead was fairly upsetting. Well, that's upsetting for a different... It's different upsetting way. because it's like you're literally watching a nightmare. This movie was upsetting because of its bleakness yeah it's so fanciful and so there's there is romance and there's love and there's hilarious lines mm-hmm. like i killed you i made you dead and care for some necrophilia like, that's <laughs> funny as fuck yeah. but at the same time it ends with a jill is dead 
Yeah. Gil has been killed. So the woman of his dreams is dead. Oh, his and, and dr- he's his... delivered that information in the, the coldest way possible. The most. With brutal. no, like, oh, she's dead. He's like, oh, yes, I made her dead. Oh, no. Well, then she died twice. Yeah, like, and that's, um, there seems to be some confusion because it appears to have happened twice. twice and he's right. like, twice. So the I faked one and, and now she's, she's really actually dead. dead. So we find out Jill is Jill's dead. But there is no, I'm terribly sorry, Jill is dead. It's like, it's, you you find out not directly by somebody saying that she is, in fact, dead or seeing a body. It's, like, it's him working it out. It's not even his, told. He's not even told that she's dead. No. He's told there was an irregularity in her paperwork. Yeah. Right. She's. But she seems to have died twice. People are paperwork. On on paper, she was killed twice. Yeah. And you're like. Then you see him work it out. You're like, oh. yeah, yeah. I want so badly to. I'm because and you know what? It's interpretive and it is a movie. I'm glomming on to your theory that because even though that's this ending is not. When I say terrible, I don't mean bad. I mean good. But it's terrible. It's a to terrible. See. Yeah. You're left with that. That is the best possible horrible ending that you could have. Yeah. Oh my god, I uh, I'm buying I'm buying this movie. Fantastic. I'm buying the fuck out of this movie. Buy, um, buy the fuck <laughs> out of it, Max. Um. Uh, my, yeah. my note. We uh, never make mistakes. When did they switch to the metric system? Right. Like, yeah. That's <laughs> dude. That's hilarious. Uh, no, they've switched back to they, metric oh, they, on yeah, us. They switched back to metric. Now they switched back to metric on us when they dropped the whole plug the whole through plug the floor. Through the floor. <laughs> Right after saying, "Oh, we never make mistakes." Um, I wrote down. There's little stuff in here. It, it would you could spend a whole day just picking out the tiny little. Oh, absolutely. Bits Which is and why I bobs. Love um, there's background confer- conversation where they're walking through the the restaurant and you hear someone else talking about them. Medical gift vouchers. You can spend them. For, oh, yes. <laughs> for any p- procedures, including gynecological procedures. And Sam's like, Ugh. Ugh. but like medical gift vouchers, right? 2018. Here we are. The cost of insurance is so fucking incredibly high that like, well, it's not just that, oh, there's GoFundMe like Kickstarter's just, for fucking like I need to get surgery. It's <laughs> not just yeah. There's a there's a GoFundMe who's like if you guys please help me, I need surgery or I will die because insurance is so expensive mm-hmm. in America. But this medical gift vouchers thing, I'm this is again this is from me from my personal life. This last Christmas when I was my parents were like, what do you want for Christmas? And I, I jokingly was like, well, I mean, how about some health insurance? <laughs> right. <laughs> and my dad was like. Well, we know a really good dentist who we've been, he's a family dentist of ours. Maybe I could do something like we, your mother and I could put some money in a, into a deposit account with him so that you could go there. And it was literally, when you broke it down, it was literally a gift card, a gift card to a to, dentist. to go to a dentist. Oh my God. And he was. That should not be the case. Right? <laughs> oh my God. So like, it was, it was literally like, well, well, maybe we could put a credit on an account at like a local medical center and you could go and get medical treatment. That's literally a medical gift card that all right. in all but language. You can use it for whatever you want. You right. Can, and that's a that's a you real need a stent put in your heart. You could do that or, you know, penis enlargement, whatever you need. Like, think like, about that. It's it's like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, OK, well, we've uh, you know, like, thank you for coming in, Mr. Peterson. We've uh, you know, we've we've treated your arrhythmia and you just need to take these pills. Your total is going to be a thousand dollars minus. Do, would you like to use your two hundred and fifty dollar medical cash back medical on gift your credit? That's where we are now yep. today 
how fucked up is that, Carl? Yeah. It's you know what? And then you watch. It's almost like you're gonna get a punch card. It's like your twelfth coffee, you get your thirteenth free. It's right. like I mean, we're fucking there. Exactly. Man. It's like oh well, we we see that you've had several bones set with us. So is there anything else you'd like done while you're here? You do have a five hundred dollar medical credit because you've had four because, bones Jesus set. Christ. Like the, that's in a fucking weird way. Yeah. That's where we are. My cousin, one of my, I won't say his name. One of my cousins works in a. Uh, he's a, he works as a lab tech. And he was, he's been saying for the last like year or so, he's like hospitals all over mm-hmm. in small towns are getting shut down and everyone's being transferred to large central hospitals because as a business model, they don't work. There's no, the smaller, po- you don't, yeah. the small hospitals in a small town, like what are you going to do? You're going to deliver like two babies a year, set a couple broken bones, yeah. treat someone for like a head the injury. The ledgers don't balance. It's right. Not, you're not profitable enough. It's not, it's not, you, why even bother staying it's open? It's like, it's like closing, they just closed the family video on uh, on West Bay. Yeah. It's like closing the small branch of a video store exactly. or something. It's the same fucking thing. Exactly. Oh, So, and we, we used to it. live over in Maine and now it's like, there's, he's like all these Maine is there's a lot of very very isolated rural communities it's like now someone has a heart attack it's not like a quick ambulance ride 10 minutes to the local or 20 minutes or 30 minutes fucking, you lay there and you're dying and you're waiting for a helicopter to come and fly you up to Bangor or fly you to Augusta because the big hot or fly you to Portland Medical because the big hospitals are profitable Healthcare should never be a business. It shouldn't be a business. I mean, we're not getting our soapbox, but we are. We healthcare are. Should never healthcare be a should never business. be a fucking business. Or medical gift vouchers should be a real thing. Right, exactly. <laughs> or because I could use a couple. Every Christmas and birthday, <laughs> I'd just be like, how about a medical gift card? I, no, I want in my stocking, in the toe, an orange, because you have to have an you orange. You have to have an orange. And then medical gift vouchers. And then lump of coal, because that's and, funny. And that's funny, because like, tee I get it. No, but, you're a good But boy. don't burn it, though, because like the environment is exactly. fucked. Exactly. <laughs> Tic Tacs. Ooh. And also a twenty dollars gift card. I love Pez. to the state theater, dude. Pez, a, like a fun little Pez. Pez I always Pez. like a little Pez. Those are great. On like Christmas. I love a yo-yo, <laughs> like the kids' shit. A Matchbox car and medical uh, gift vouchers. Um, so this movie we watched. I'm Brazil. forty. I'm not getting any younger, Max. Right. Yeah. And you're gonna Fuck. need to be patched up occasionally coming up here, dude. I'm terrified. Like honestly, I'm terrified. I turned forty-one in July, and hey. I'm like, boy, I really hope nothing happens because I can't fucking afford it. Really quick, checking in. Uh. I think you stopped smoking on our second episode. Still not smoking? Still not smoking, yeah. It was October, beginning of October that I stopped smoking. Okay, so October was before we even started recording the new episodes. Yeah. So this entire season so far, you haven't smoked? Yeah, smoke free. Dude, I'm going to keep checking in like every couple oh, episodes because I love it. Oh, thank you. I Me love too. like this yeah. little clock that we've got going. Where it's like <laughs> part of my brain's like, how long can you How long can you go? Like I haven't, the fucking fucked up part about it the fucking fucked up part about it. See, Jesus, Carl. You must be jonesing. I am. No, but th- I haven't even reached my my current, um, my, my personal record yet. Really? Which is a year and a half. Okay. I went so we'll 18, check in in season yeah, two. I went, I went 18 months, and then I don't know if it's... Usually something will fucked up will happen, mm. and I, I fall back Bumps to it. off, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm going to smoke every cigarette ever made. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I owe myself one year, eight months. (laughs) I I owe myself 18 months of backlog not smoking cigarettes. Well, look, I haven't smoked in like a year and a half, so a carton's not going to kill me, right? Right. (laughs) Um, I wanted to, I have, I can, you want to just burn through some notes? Yeah. yeah. Look how many fucking notes I have. Um, They're the kids. Okay, wait, first. The nuclear Pleasantville, that little like town of the future where it's like power now, pleasure later, and it's all the billboards for it, but there's nothing being 
constructed. Well, and also we see this like we see him, uh, Sam driving. Mm-hmm. We see this. Uh, I di- we realize later that it's like a, a little set, a mini set, but we see these like perfect. Oh, the idyllic. Nu- yeah. yeah, the idyllic like um, nuclear power plants with like little subdivided homes in between them, and then that fucking the bum with the bottle of whiskey like stumbles into the frame, yeah, and then we like- pan out, and you're in like a mechanical wasteland. Yes. Of, of like what the reality of nuclear power plants open flames shooting out of pipes just dirt and shit duct all over work the ground and wires everywhere and that's the first time that ever we, were <laughs> or just duct work everywhere by the way eraser head in this movie the the attention given to duct work yeah and like serpentine even the floor cleaners all they look like snakes working mm-hmm. over because everything is connected to piping or a duct of some sort right there's a lot of attention given to ducts and pipes and I was I wasn't able to unpack it but I did note that both use pipes to create in it like an industrial wasteland feel like mm-hmm. open pipes in a house it's like a cardiovascular system or a nerve network everything is connected like a in sick some way heart in a yeah. way yeah um this is the first when we go to that little Pleasantville place this is the first time we see like children mm-hmm. and, they're, and playing they're playing cops and robbers but you realize that the robbers aren't robbers they're just like civilians civilians turning each other in right and my favorite part is there's a kid in a in like the body bag yeah Yeah. it's in like a he's in like a leaf bag with holes cut out and he's in the body bag and one of the kid a little girl in a dress is has a fake machine gun maybe fake maybe real maybe real the guns the kids have look really real so she's holding another child at gunpoint with a machine gun while he's got his hand a little kid has, has his hands, hands against the wall. the wall and a third little kid is patting him down yeah and you're like oh look it's new york city stop and frisk what in the fuck what, the fuck? what are we watching this movie was made <laughs> in 1985 and i'm like oh it's kids playing new, it's york, kids city playing new york city cops yeah stop and frisk. stop and frisk awesome but <laughs> dude it's haunting and then what i thought i had a little i wrote down really though we're all still children. Nothing changes when we grow up. Right. Because you realize that, like, the games kids play, those carry over into adulthood. When you play cops and robbers, sometimes, sometimes kids grow up. to be cops. Who are cops? They're kids who They're grew kids up. They're kids who grew up. And some of them are robbers. It's like, it, and it, it kind of, like, hurt, but it also kind of opened my eyes to how the world works, which is like, oh, we don't ever change. No. We, we just take on more responsibility and get maybe sometimes more organized because you, you have to fit into a particular... A little, but like when you're a kid, this might seem like a digression, but it will make sense. Oh, that's okay. But when you're a kid, you, you look at the adults and you're like, they have it together. You right. trust them. You're yes. like, they've got everything figured out. And when you little get do here, you know, when you get here, no you're like, fucking idea. no one is driving this. There is no driver on the bus. <laughs> uh, Grant Morrison has a great quote about it. He's like... He's like, the reason I don't believe in conspiracy theories is when you realize that the people who are, quote unquote, running the world are about a decade older than me. Yeah. He's like, there are no like wise, old, super competent, right. like clever men or orchestrating the universe. He's like the old like the like the people who are running the world are not even are are not even half a century old. He's right. like the people who are alive have only been here for like 
four or five decades. Yeah. He's like, there is, <laughs> he's like, there the are no cabals. No. no one knows what the fuck they're doing. It's all just, we're all just doing our best. That's all that's happening. It's like, it's like when you, when you're nervous about, about going to work for this really nice fine dining restaurant in a big city, you're like, oh my God, they have the shit so together. And then on your you second the day of training, you're like, how is this even working? <laughs> How do I even get food out? Like, had, what the fuck? I totally had that experience. I was like, I'm expecting like polished steel. Yep. And then you're like, and you get oh. kind of nervous and like, oh my God, this, is gonna be- this kitchen looks like the country kitchen kitchen. Right. Yeah. But it's, you guys are just putting out like fish eggs and country. But we do do that pancakes. though. Don't we, we put, we put a, it's almost like an, a level of expectation in some way because there's it's like being the kid and like and and the adults has the idea that they've got everything under control and you're good to go. This is fine dining fine dining restaurant in a big city. They've got to have their shit together. But you when you get in the kitchen and you're like this place is fucked up. How is it even right. running? Like <laughs> you you realize half the service staff is drunk or high. Oh yeah, and you're like. Oh, what the fuck? but then they get to the floor and they're totally competent. Yeah. You're like, nothing is real. Everything is Everything a facade. Is fa- it, yes, exactly. It's all a facade. Like we're no- <laughs> nobody knows what's going on. There's a book. There's a book called I wish I could remember the artist's name, but unfortunately it's in Italian. Called the Codex Seraphinianus. Mm-hmm. And what the Codex Seraphinianus is is this Italian artist did a codex, which is a book that um, uh, chronicles a civilization's plants, animals, like government system, chronicles its mm-hmm. language. And he did it for a civilization that doesn't exist. So he has in there plants that are not real, but they're pl- you, it's drawings of it's plants drawings and stuff, plants. but it's nothing you can identify. And there's animals you've never seen. And the whole book is written in no known language. It's there, it is a language. It you can read it and notice structure, and you can notice strange punctuation. But um, uh, like cryptographers and linguists have been trying to decode it since 1971, and no one's been able to crack it. They can't figure out how the language works. So it is literally a guidebook to to nothing, to that, nothing you've that you've ever seen, seen, written in a language that you've never heard and cannot possibly learn. And someone asked him. In like the early, mid two thousand, like two thousand eight, two thousand ten, mm-hmm. like what? Come on, what? Give us a hint. Like people have been fascinated with this book since the seventies when it first 70s. came out, and they're like, "Please, just give us something. Give us something to work with." Like we're tearing our hair out. And he's like, "What I wanted to do was I wanted to write a book for adults that would give them that same sensation of a child opening a book for the first Fuck time me. and r- realizing that they can't understand, but knowing that somewhere out there, the bigger people did. Oh my God. So seeing something and knowing that, oh. s- knowing that someone had the answers, even if you don't. And that, that feeling of like wanting to know the answers and, and just trusting, That's trusting brilliant. that the answers were out there. I know. And oh, it's, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's an art book, so it's fairly expensive. Mm-hmm. But um, I've flipped through on- online. I've looked at some of the illustrations and checked out the language. And it's in my Amazon cart right now. But yeah, so this movie, in a weird way, kind of gave me that same feeling. That which same is feeling. Because the world is so well realized. I'm like, I don't necessarily understand what these processes are. But you start. And no the one's movie, holding your hand with it either. No, it's telling you what's you, going on. You start the movie going like, "Oh, okay." So I don't understand this world, but they do. And then halfway through the movie, you're like, "No, they don't." Nope, they have no fucking idea. Nobody understands what's going on, and I think that's the point. Isn't that great? That's the message where you're like, 
this no one's well, no, no one's, one's running this no world. one's running the world paperwork just bumps back and forth they drop a they drop a, tube. a pneumatic he tube looks and at that's it, it. Yep. he fills it out he fires it up it comes back he that, i don't think there's anyone actually in charge it's just different departments that are now just the self-contained like, it's like a machine and the operator has died and yep. the machine is still running it's still going and that's horrifying yes, when you it realize is. it when you realize that it's people and human beings that are make <sighs> up that that make up that machine yeah the uh we've already talked about that there's a um there's I, i'm i'm jumping all over but i want to get my notes out because they're so funny um the this when he for, delivers the uh refund check that that cloak and dagger guy yes and he's coming down the stairs and he bumps into him do you see the huge cloud of smoke that yeah, comes out of his huge. mouth <laughs> He's got lungs full of, full, smoke. Just full of smoke. He hits him and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wrote down the. Blah, 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 blah. I wrote down when he first comes to his mother's party and the butler spins him around and the other one stuffs a pistol in his face <laughs> and is like, where's your invitation? Where's, where's your, your invitation? invitation? And then I realized that that is a natural extension of paperwork culture. Yeah. It's it's it, it's. I thought originally it was a joke, like like show us your papers, but everybody needs to sign their form and have their like. You can't enter certain places without, without paperwork. paperwork. Like for, that's how he kicks out central services guys. They don't have they don't have, their, they don't have their the right form paperwork. Eighty four whatever. So they leave. and they freak out about not having. And it they too. get a weird paperwork revenge on him, where they use paperwork and legal technicalities to seize his apartment. Yep. But even to get into a party. There's a military adherence to where's your invitation, and they have a gun to where's his head. Where's your RSVP? Show me your RSVP. Like, show yeah. me your RSVP, or your brains are on the door, buddy. Yep. It's fucked up. And it's um, his mom's party. Like, there's <laughs> yeah, and she comes over and she's like, "Oh, Sam, darling," and they're so pissed that they have to let him in. They're yeah. looking at him like, "Fuck," mm. and wearing his dowdy suit. When he his- orders the food in the restaurant, he's like, "I'll take a steak rare." You have to say the number, sir. Um, you just, what, just whatever number. Whatever he's like, number whatever number it is. And he goes, it's this one right here. And he goes, okay, I'll take that. You have to say the number. It's adherence to the the Every, rigor of form. Yes. He's like, a number three, then. Like, just like he's saying it to the world, you know. Like a number yeah. three, then. Very good. Three, you know. Like everyone orders by number. Yeah. Because it's all. And you have to adhere to that. It's so fucking yeah. crazy. Um, the. There's a, a there's little funny bits that also show how shabby the world is. You'll never like like for example, you just mentioned his, his like dowdy suit, but when yeah. Jack says, "Well, you'll never get," he's like, "I'll, I'll go get her." Well, you'll never get anywhere in a suit, in like, a suit that. like that. Try this one on. When you move to new place, his suit is fine when he's in that lower echelon, but when he moves up. Suit's it's not okay. It's not. like the paperwork. Yep. He's like, no, okay, now we're gonna change your uniform. Yep. And we're they give him a new number. Mm-hmm. Then his badge has his number. He's like, you've now switched. You're a new cog. We can't have cogs moving With around. Same, yeah. We need to create a new cog. Exactly. And we've deleted the old cog. And but you, we also get this like half a desk joke mm-hmm. where. Things seem to like on on the absolute surface, everything seems efficient, perfect, pristine, and but it's not. It's not. And my favorite my favorite gag about that is the elevator. When the elevator goes up to the thirtieth floor, it stops shy of the thirtieth floor, so he has to step out 
or step, step up, up and out and, out, and yeah. bend down to close the gate. And then when the elevator gets called back down, it goes all the way up to the 30th floor and correctly, correctly and, and then, then back goes down. back down. And you realize like, oh, nothing, nothing runs really works. Right. Yeah. Nothing works, but it all on the surface appears to. Mm-hmm. And there's because right before that, we get that like highly uh, that weird kind of fun moment with um, the desk clerk when he's like, you know, like, well, don't you want to check my papers? No, sir. Well, I could be anybody. No, you couldn't. No, you sir. couldn't. <laughs> You're at information retrieval, sir. Uh, I want to go to 30th floor, sir. Like it's, vi- yeah. you're like, ah, okay, this is hyper efficient. And then you see the elevator doesn't work. Yeah. And the desks are cut in half. You're like, which also, oh. which also sort of plays into that whole the, I, I wonder if the machine Hellboy is working. That. The machine is the the machine is still, like. <laughs> It running, works, it, but there, there really isn't anybody in charge. That speaks even more to that. It's like it's just like going through its thing. It's starting to break down, but there's no, there are no overseers to correct any of it. And when it breaks, they just slap another piece of paper on it. That or they, there, there's panic. Right. There's real panic when things don't work, and so I because, think it's because I think some of them have figured out there is no one driving the bus. There right. is no big overseer. It's all just become this this cycle and circle of paperwork and if it starts to break down it will completely break down that's why people panic so much when something small goes wrong in one in some way it seems kind of like the assembly the 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 end game of an assembly line consumerist culture mm-hmm. whereas there's we we always hear about like there's there's people whose job it is to turn a bolt one quarter turn yes and then the next bolt comes by the one other corner one, turn because it's efficient one corner yeah. right so you can just bang 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 is everybody that old, is that old john for that john ford that, uh, he's a director he's a director we're on a film podcast so good mistake thank you henry ford henry ford but right. yeah it's it's everyone has that one job this yep. is my job and when you compartmentalize that far down if a crisis arises, no one is equipped to deal with it. Because All I know how to do is corner turn of the screw. If no one has the big picture, when you get a multi... If there's no foreman. Right. If, if you get a problem across compartments, everyone's fucked. Because no one knows how to deal with the big picture. Because everyone is looking at one... It's like... It's like if a hundred, it's like a hundred people trying to paint a painting, and no one knows what they're supposed to be painting. Right. They just know like my job is to make the line from the upper right corner of my box to the lower right yeah. corner, and the next person, it's the most fucked up game of telephone of all time. Because yes. everyone does their everyone one has little their thing. Own phone. Right. And then when the next person gets what's been done, they're like, "This isn't right," and they kick it back, and then they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What do we? Why, what why, why did you kick it back? Why'd you kick it back? I did it right." Here, send, oh, no, we need to send it to. Okay, okay, yeah. I know what to do. And they send it to the next place, and they're like, I've never seen this, this before. but I know my job is to go from top to bottom because now we're out of sequence. Yep. And then the next person gets, and they're like, I don't fucking know what any of this is. I'm just gonna do my job. Yep. And at the end, you get a mess. You get a mess. You get a mess. It's oh god, it's so funny. Yes, it's. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to say it and not say it. We're, we're saying it. We're saying it now. Yeah, it's it's kind of what the what the government Absolutely. is exactly like. Uh, we have the department of the left side of pine trees. Um, you're gonna want to talk to like the department. It's always been that way too. It's like we never really grow up. It's the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And but you know, and the other thing is, is it's that weird childlike thing they do where they're like, now you're the hall monitor, right? Where they give you. Uh, they give you a title and a position and a badge and a job to do. Yep. And now, Crossing guard, right. whatever. Yeah. And you're like, and you're like, I am important. I am someone. And 
when if anything contradicts that you just put your blinders on and you focus on your task yep and you're like well no i have some power in this sphere like that's i not not bashing cops but i think in a lot of ways that can happen to cops oh sure where you are given authority and a badge and you have a gun and your gun is your symbol of your authority and in that world now you get you are like this is my sphere in this sphere i have this power it's not the cop that's the asshole it's the person that's the asshole right exactly it's not it's not a problem with the job it's a problem with certain people in the job mm-hmm. because you can get like you and i've both had several jobs like most people of our generation yes <laughs> um where you have an awesome manager mm-hmm. you get a manager who will let things ride because he knows that his workers are competent right or who makes makes small subtle corrections when necessary and then you have the weird fucking um i've worked with two now this is the managers who are like here is every rule i will micromanage everything and well you know what happens when you get the manager that micromanages everything everything grinds to a halt yep because there's no room for flexibility it's like um, why is your food up? There's still soups on the table. We need to refire this. And now the food is 30 minutes late. And yeah. it's like, no, what if I just set the food down and they can take their last bite of soup? What are you talking about? Right. Like that, that hyper anal micromanaging. It's not even necessarily micromanaging. It's I have these managerial powers and I shall exercise them. Yes. And when you do that too much, like we see in this movie, mm-hmm. when you exercise too much power in your sphere or when you don't trust other, when you don't trust other people right. to do their thing. Everything gets just just crashed into each other, and nothing gets, gets nothing happens. It becomes a logjam, and then there you are. It's te- oh, it's terrible. <laughs> and then there you are, in your window <laughs> with cold food. Yeah, you yeah, you've got you got food burning in the window. They're refiring food. Your ticket's already been spiked. You don't know what's you know happening. What the, who ran? Who ran this? Soups are coming out before appetizers. <laughs> there's just you're like, what? I, I need my. Where's my Gravlox? <laughs> There's nothing like dropping a check to a table when they haven't had their apps yet. Like, wow. Uh, I didn't get any food yet. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and yeah, especially when like you're, you're the worst is when someone, someone does their job and they see the table, but then they, the other person whose job it is to tell you, you have the table. Don't tell you you have the table. Oh yeah. And then the manager comes and they're like, your table's been here for half an hour. And you're like, which one? I clocked out. Oh, right. <laughs> I've already what? done my paperwork. Like, what are you, like, what are you talking what are you about? Talking about? <laughs> 21 is you. They've been here for half an hour. They're furious. <laughs> I had to comp everything. I'm like, comp what? I haven't been I haven't there yet. I have taken an order. <laughs> <laughs> what are you even saying to me right now? <laughs> I've been home for 10 minutes. <laughs> I just discovered that I love bureaucracy comedy. Isn't it great? It's hilarious. The, it is. The paperwork it's, snafus it's, are so funny. Oh, my God, because we all deal with it in, in some way every day of our lives. Well, Not to the necessarily extent of the Buttle Tuttle. But yeah, Buttle Tuttle's a bit extreme. But one of my... <laughs> One of my favorite moments of bureaucratic, of like paperwork, uh, bureaucratic comedy is when he's in his office and he's trying to get out of his office at information retrieval and they keep sending him those tubes. Yes. So he pulls a piece of tubing and puts the out into the into in. The in. Yes. So it shoots down the out, up the in. And then you just see, you start hearing like, doom, 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 doom. And the pipe starts swelling and there's a huge explosion of paperwork outside. It blows up and paperwork just rains down from the ceiling. And there was a, some there was some re- very real satisfaction with that happening. This like, yeah, yeah, there you yeah, go. And it. In a weird way, you know what that was is like a heart. It's that's like a heart attack. Yep. We just saw a heart attack and then a like a ruptured artery. A ruptured artery in that in that heart 
that cardiovascular system that is that with all the ductwork yeah. and pipes and stuff. I wrote down five times uh, the set design, set design. Yes. Wow, this set design is amazing. I rem- um the scene when he's about to be tortured, and we pan out from him in the chair, and he is in the biggest, the most biggest vaulted yeah. room you've ever seen. The scale that that Gilliam manages to achieve. With I think some of it's painted backdrops. Oh yeah, it's a but, lot of it's that composited. Um, but oh my yeah. god, the scale that he por- manages to convey—you don't see huge scale like that in films a lot because yeah. spaces like that either they don't, don't exist, exist. Yeah. or they're like hard to get to or impossible or to get to. So expensive to like fabricate, like there's no way to possibly do that right. on a budget. Right, like sound stages are enormous, mm-hmm. but like. If you're gonna build a giant set that is you could you can't, no. but he manages somehow to convey that sense of space. Okay. That those are the sets that really, really blew my mind with seeing like the the high vaulted spaces or seeing like the really intricate it a lot of the places look like they've converted old factories into, into like buildings, offices. Yes. And it Especially cr- where he works in the beginning. It's yeah. like you're in the basement of a factory somewhere and they just shoved a bunch of desks <sighs> into it. Yeah, it looks so cool. Yeah. Everything everything works. Mm-hmm. It, oh, it all works. Oh, I, I absolutely love it. Um, da, 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 da. <laughs> the, oh, and then the last. There's two other things I wanted to say. I mentioned yep. drone pilots earlier. And you get the sense, do you remember in the end, in his fantasy dream when he's escaping and Tuttle and the rest of the quote-unquote terrorists are dragging you out, and the, the desk man is zeroing in on people and blowing up bombs? Oh, yes. And he just seems like very satisfied, and there's literally video game noises. Yeah, it's like, as he's blowing up people. Humans, yeah. They, like nowadays, in a weird way, that is modern warfare. Well, yeah, they're playing a video game. Yeah, actually, a, a friend of my brother's just went through flight school, and I, I used to get Snapchats of him, like you know, flying plane. You have to learn how to fly planes, right? Of to, to be a drone pilot, you have to be a licensed pilot. So he was doing like cross country jet fighter trips, and he's he's a licensed he's a pilot. He graduated flight school. We we're all like, oh, congratulations, congratulations. He's like, I finally graduated, and we're like, right on, man, awesome. cool. And then the next Snapchat was like him standing in front of a drone. And the one after that was a, just a screen, just a screen and a joystick. Jesus Christ, man. And that he's, that's his job now is you, he flies, he flies planes across on the other side of the world and drops payloads on people that are nothing more than a blip on a screen. Well, not, not even just a blip on a screen, but think about the, like the information is through a magnifying glass. Yeah. He's when you get down to it, it's, it's spots of light. He's, he's not. They're 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 not done with them yet, but they're in the middle of like a bunch of psychological studies to see like what what goes on in a drone pilot's brain because right. no one's ever done this before in the history of humankind. This is a totally different thing. Being that divorced from, from the actual violence that's taking place, right? It's with a sniper, you're still pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. There's there's distance, yes. But a drone pilot, you're sitting in an office. Mm-hmm. You're sitting in an office and you're flying a. You're, you you could be in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, you and you're dropping bombs in Iraq. A lot of drone pilots commute. They just they wake up, they kiss their wife good morning, they drive to work, they sit down, they kill 250 people, and then they go home and they cook their dinner and they eat their pot roast and they turn on the news. And psychologists are. But is that better than 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 the the man or woman that's on an aircraft carrier overseas? 
and like gets in an actual like jet fighter and like and also kills that many people there's really no what's the difference i don't think so because i think there should be consequences okay fair enough no okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah. anything that increases the ease of war is right that's bad no i completely agree with that but the violence is still there like the people are still dead is my point right yeah but no there needs there needs there needs to be some sort of gut check like if I can just like open up my laptop here and hit a button and like, okay, well that was easy. I right, just did like, my job versus like, I have to go live for nine months on a carrier. I have right. to like strap my boots on and get in and I have to launch. I have to fly. I have to actually go and do that. Right. And of course, neither Carl nor I are like military service members. It's all just opinion. Right. Um, well, I did serve, but. But are you active? No, not active. Are you an operator? No, (laughs) I wouldn't tell you. I I always forget. I always forget that you served. How long were you in again? I just just four uh, four years active. Okay, yeah, and like my uh, my brother's considering it right now. My dad Mm -hmm. was a captain, and now he's working with the military again. He's a civilian contractor now. But um, yeah, did you did you serve in combat zone? No, actually, I was in from ninety seven to two thousand one. So it was that weird two thousand brief period. When were you out in two thousand one? Uh, like two months before. Ooh, yeah. Everyone knows what we're talking about when you say yeah, 2001. I know. A Space Odyssey. Ooh, yeah. The uh, Arthur C. Clarke book. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite. Maybe they made a movie of it. I think they did, yeah. Did they? With a sequel. Maybe. Could be. Oh, is there a sequel? Is mm-hmm. there really one? 2010. Don't want to watch it. Is it a good? It's Roy Scheider's in it. Okay, maybe I do want to watch it. Yeah. Um, but I was just thinking, like, we hear these stories from, like, World War II, or even from, not as much from Vietnam, but you hear these stories from World War II where there's a guy, you know, a guy out in the field and he turns the corner and there is, I mean, he's just, I, I, we've been talking about humanizing them, but I'll just say mm-hmm. the enemy. He right. turns the corner and there's the enemy right in front of him and they both have their guns and they both look at each other and they're both scared kids and they, they walk away. Right. And they don't pull that trigger. They don't kill that person. Mm-hmm. And then they meet up later in life. Or whatever. You, there's yeah. there's always the there's always the stories you hear where it's like, you know, like I my plane was going down in a Japanese. Well, there's the whole Joy pilot. Noel thing, like the the ceasefire and the trench warfare. Uh, with the yeah, with the they played soccer with they each other, with and each then other. eventually they had to circulate those soldiers out because they wouldn't kill each they other. They wouldn't kill each other. Yeah. But like, think about that. Yeah. Think about that. That that human. They were able to stop bloodshed and connect with people with whom they did not even share a language and were on opposite sides of an ideological spectrum because they were able to recognize each other's humanity. Yep. There is no chance to do that if when you are when you've got your VR headset on and you hit your cool trigger button and you get the like pew 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 pew, pew sound in your ears or whatever. Right. That's not that's that I cannot I cannot possibly fathom in like that that is that uh, that's good for humanity that that's good for the people who are doing it like, that's clearly, gonna ca- yes, that's gotta be catching up with those drone pilots yeah, yeah. like they wake up in the morning like do you think the numbers ever hit you they would have to where you're like you're still aware of what you're doing even though there's separation there's, there's, it's gonna catch up you're very divorced from it but you and gotta, it might be one of those things where it catches you unexpectedly you're you're on a cross-country trip you with your break. family and all of a sudden you just lose your fucking shit or yeah you drive into a town and it's like population 1604 and, and you're like and then you're like, oh, that's how many people I've killed. Yeah. And then it becomes real. And then yeah. you're like, oh. I remember the first time I was in, I think this is somehow relevant. It's the first time <laughs> I was in Chicago and we went to the top of like that building with the glass uh, observation. Oh, the observation. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking down and I was like, wow, look at this big city. It's crazy. There's so many people. And then I was like, there's so many people. It like echoed. It was like, there's so many people, so many people, so many people. And I looked at all the cars and all the lights and all the buildings and all the humans I could see. And I'm like, there's. 
I can see right now thousands of people and they all go home at night and mm-hmm. they all have Netflix accounts yes. and they all eat cereal and they all walk their fucking dog and they all and love they people. they should all subscribe to Measuring Flicks. They should all subscribe <laughs> to this podcast. That's a great commute. And when you're commuting, Chicago traffic is terrible. These no, but are, I know what you're saying though. Yeah, it's... There's a specific word the, that means exactly that feeling. There's a word for Oh, there is a really. Bird is off mic, but she said there's a specific word for the feeling for that I sensation. just... For the sensation of realizing the humanity around you. And it... The, I was pretty young. I was still in high school as a field trip, but that sh- forever... I mean, I'm super hippy-dippy, obviously. Right, right, right. But that was part of what made me that way, was the realization that they're not just like... Other animals walking around mm-hmm. They're people like I am Yeah Different than me Some of them are bad Some of them do bad stuff One some of the first One of the first times I flew on a commercial airline From From Grand Rapids To San Diego mm-hmm. And when we're going into this Cause you're sitting in that plane For like three and a half Four hours or whatever right. And you get Same sort of thing I'm like Hearing bits of conversation And I know what I'm going to San Diego for I'm gonna go sing with this group And tour high schools And like But that's me I'm one person out of like these 300 people I'm like what the fuck is that what's what are they doing are they coming to or going from right are they visiting family or do they have a new job and i started like making up these stories for everybody mm-hmm. but it started, at one point almost became overwhelming i got a little bit like panic attacky because i was like there's so and this is just one plane of this how many planes plane. that are in the air because you look out my window i'm like shit there are two planes over there one's going the other way one's right. going and like who's sort of, on those then i look down same see, sort of thing, oh, I and earth. I saw the earth, and I was like, fuck it, I'm done. Can I get off the plane now? Right. You just can like- I get off the plane now? <laughs> I get, ooh. It was like a real moment of like, because it does sort of just comes crashing down on you. Mm. Not, uh, it's not, that's not the right way of saying it. It's just sort of the, the realization, whatever that word is. I think in a weird way, it's the, it's the other thing, though. It's right. where it, it, up until that point, you are... Uh, you're walking on water, mm-hmm. and all the humans are in the water, and you, but you're the hero, and right. you're the you're looking because you're the hero of your story. And every, sometimes there's moments like my moment, like your moment, where you fall into the water, mm-hmm. and now you're just it's like the kick. Yes, <laughs> it's like the kick in Inception. Yeah, <laughs> we should watch that movie at some point. I love that movie. Um, I really don't have anything else. I wanted I to don't. talk briefly. And in as least the, the uh, it's a tangly, very tangly ooh, conversation. Ooh, is it a tangled scheme? It's no, mm-hmm. yes, no, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, right. no. It's a, uh, it's a, it's it's touchy. It's definitely a touchy conversation. And in modern America, it's a I think it's a dangerous conversation. You're making me uh, very curious. Excited. Yes. Um. So this is in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So Terry Gilliam's American. Yeah. This is a very, I would say very he's British. an American. This is a very British yes. film. And there's a lot of terrorist talk in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's unavoidable that, I mean, V for Vendetta talks about terrorists, mm-hmm. both the book and the film. Yep. And what we, I specifically associated Brazil, this film with the IRA because that was happening in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. So that's not too far removed from the, the IRA. Maybe a decade. Yeah. And actually there's like well, there's still more yeah. Even but. through the 80s there was mm-hmm. some of it but the the really violent stuff was in the I believe early 70s. So that was the bombings and things right. like that. So and uh, of course the terrorists in this film are primarily bombers. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering what 
the takeaway from this film specifically vis-a-vis terrorism is because we see a woman who's suspected of terrorism and mm-hmm. we find out that she's basically just a truck driver. This is a goofy thing about that whole thing. Okay. Is uh, until recently the 10, 15 last 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. this isn't the version that the mass public saw right. of this film. It, they saw it the was love the, the love conquers all cut. So that's interesting in itself. But I think those that what the takeaway is it a cautionary tale or is it more like I don't know this there are a couple ways to see it because as you watch it well as I watched it I was able to I I flipped between a couple things there's a there's a weird sense in in this film I'm talking about specifically in this film Mm -hmm. but I want to I want to bring it to the real world and see what what where we can get with sure there's a weird moment where you start to or where I started to sympathize with the Ter- it, it, let's assume that there are terrorists in the film okay. and it's not just it's the, not the, government. the government just blowing stuff up. Sure. There's a weird moment where you start to sympathize, where I started to sympathize with the terrorists in the film mm-hmm. because you see an utterly diseased and dysfunctional mechanized society where everyone is functionally dead. No one's alive. No one's living. Bird found the word. It's a made up word. It's a made up All word. Made up. All words yes, are made up. Sure. Sonder. 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 The moment when you. Um, yeah, it's from the Dictionary of Obscure Come talk on the mic. <laughs> it's from the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which is a YouTube channel where um, I believe an entomologist, is that the right word? Um, the word people, history man. of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A word man. <laughs> um, makes up words for specific feelings that aren't defined in the English language. Sonder. Or potentially even other languages. Sonder. Sonder. Cool. I love it. I love it too. Um, Sometimes I ponder when I sonder. <laughs> I'm ponderously Saundersome. Oh! <laughs> oh, yes. Love it. Um, but I, you, you, you empathize. I, I should stop saying you. I empathize or sympathize with the terrorists mm-hmm. because I think that's intentional. I mean, I, th- I think in a lot of these you do in, in V and in a lot of ways you do, you sympathize with V. Definitely. And V is undoubtedly he's a terrorist. He's your hero. And he is. He wants to blow up and does. He does. He blows, blows up, up the houses parliament. of parliament. Yeah. He's undoubtedly a terrorist. And you are so excited when that happens. You're on his side 100%. Because you, you are a terrorist along with him. It's the weirdest fucking thing. It really is. And it's it's an uncomfortable space. Because when you're in the movie, or, or the reading the book, mm-hmm. or watching this, or reading 1984, you're like, yeah, this government has gone way too far. It's time for the people. They, they've got to take it down. And like you, but then even this movie challenges you on that because mm-hmm. in the end, not the end, but near the end, when uh, Sam thinks Jill has a bomb, and then that that uh, the lingerie store or whatever restaurant blows up, and there's all those people on the ground, broken, bleeding, yep. bloodied, and they're just there shopping. Dead and dying. They're yeah. just there shopping. Yep. These are not soldiers who are dead. These are mostly older women. It's mostly older women who are like on the ground and they're pleading and they're begging and they're grabbing Sam, and he runs over. He's ignoring the casualties. Focusing on who he thinks is the perpetrator. Which he ignores her. the human suffering yep. and goes and finds Jill. And he says, how could you? It's a, I knew it was a bomb. And it wasn't a bomb. No. It was a box of Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. So it, and then what she does is she starts helping people. Yes. And then the soldiers come in, the government soldiers. So in that weird moment, your brain goes through the hoops of, oh my God, I cannot 
possibly sympathize or side with the terrorists of this film anymore because it's not this particular bombing. The first bombing we see, they keep eating dinner they keep eating and dinner. they set up a screen to yep. hide the violence and it becomes a kind of a, a black moment. Com- yeah, yeah, like a dark comedy like satire of yes. like, just don't look at it. That that th- yeah. That if you first, don't look at it, it's not there. It's, just continue it really eating is your that meal. First, it's fine. It's that yeah. first world thing where it's like you know, children are starving in Africa. Oh, come on, reading dinner. Don't tell, don't talk about it. Right. It's very dark, but it's it's satirical. This one is not. This bombing is like Terry Gilliam being like, "Hey, look, a terrorist blew up. Let's say terrorist because let's assume that's who it is. Yeah. Terrorist blew up this uh, thing, and a bunch of old women are now bleeding to death. And you're like, oh, the terrorists aren't right. They're not right. Right. But then. <laughs> The soldiers come in and they also ignore all of the suffering people and they arrest the two perpetrator people. Yes. So the sol- you're like, well, wait, the government. Where, where's the, the humanity in the? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm like any of it. There's no humanity to either side, and in a weird way, that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. Where yes, there are terrorist attacks. And those terrorist attacks are fucking awful and you absolutely do not sympathize with people who drive their trucks into crowds of people or who gun down kids in schools or who crash planes into buildings Mm -hmm. and murder thousands of innocent people. But then your, your government goes to a foreign nation and they kill buildings full of innocent people. Buildings and buildings full we of innocent people. We lost the people. humanity somewhere. In the yeah, well, it's that middle part is the jelly and the donut isn't there. Like where? Well, that's who. We, that's what that's we, we are. are. Yeah, most of us are just caught in between these ideological monsters. So by the end of Brazil, it's I think in a weird way, V for Vendetta does it mm-hmm. kind of too. Where at the beginning of no, V for Vendetta is very like pro revolution, pro yes. uprising. Terry Gilliam's film is much more challenging mm-hmm. because. You cannot side with the ramp with this like bloodthirst and violence on the side of the people who are trying to topple this clearly dysfunctional government and society. And also your 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 POV character is part of that system. Right. Well, he's he actually exists in both spaces he because does. she's yeah. just a truck driver. He's the one who runs the blockade and dumps the house and kills security officers and does most of the property damage and destruction. Yes. And in fact, we actually don't see any terrorists in this movie. You never. Uh, yeah. And At how all. many did we see? Zero. We, we didn't saw see zero any either. terrorists. The only person who behaves in a terroristic way is our government employee. And he does it out of fear of terrorists. It's son of a bitch. I know. So this. I don't know like it's it's weird there are there is a tendency I think we can all agree there's a tendency to romanticize particularly the IRA because they're fighting for independence right okay from a a particular a nation that has a history of colonialism Mm -hmm. so the IRA is like we want a free Ireland from the British our British overlords and in a lot of movies about the IRA Mm -hmm. in popular culture in fiction there is a tendency to make them out to be like they're outsiders. They're, there's that the two terms, terrorist and freedom fighter. Right. You know, you see like a lot of there's a tendency to romanticize, particularly the IRA and say like, well, they're fighting for their freedom. Right. But when you get the Viet Cong, who are, I guess, technically enemy combatants, even though that wasn't a war, right. we didn't declare war. It's an illegal war. Um, they are not seen as freedom fighters, even though they're just trying to kick out an invading force. Force, Right. So they're protecting their right. So we see like this horrible slaughter and we hear like, though, they they punji sticks and the shit on them. And they're like, oh, they're monsters. And then it's like and then the soldiers were cutting the ears off of them and putting them on necklaces. It's like, oh, well, so we were monsters, too. Right. And then the 
so that one's like a weird gray wash where everyone's just shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the Taliban and you have ISIS and they are no one is romanticizing them at all. They're nope. like, oh, they, these guys are fucking totally they insane monsters and, they and they're like, burning pilots alive. And they're like, oh, so they are absolutely insane monsters. But all three of those groups belong. To, they're the same type of thing. And it's. I don't I don't have answers. I have no way no, to unpack it's, it. It's 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 beyond It's just how it's how we come at it cognitively. It's how yeah. we frame it. And that's that's why I wanted to talk about it. Is like this is a this is a brain breaker. It is. It really is. I mean, especially when you're talking I mean that's when you talk about terrorism, it's a global problem. It's not like everything is a global problem. We're all people and humans. London, Paris, right. Germany. There's one. There was a big shooting in Norway that was apparently mm-hmm. like politically motivated. That was years ago, but yeah, there's no breaking news here, folks. But it's like it's always been a part of our culture, right? Is humans killing other humans right it's it is it is a conflict it's conflict and war and it's one it's you know what it, it comes down i think to ideology tribalism and it's definitely but and i and maybe tribal ideologies because when we see the when we what we call terrorists are not um not um governmentally recognized organizations fighting well, so we're still fucking barbarians man we're just seeing the world really through are. these like we're just wearing suits now. Well, and instead of like, I think nothing has, there's the weird distinction where let's, I obviously I'm just going to grab, I'm just going to grab nations. Yeah. Let's say France attacks Germany Mm -hmm. and Germany and France are fighting. That's a war. And those are two armies. If a small subgroup of French people saw a, that the the German I'm nothing against either nation. I'm right. just grabbing you're, you're, countries. Literally just grabbing. I'm just it. grabbing countries. Uh, the German government has become totalitarian, a weird, like you know, like a new neo-fascism, and they saw the atrocities happening. And that group of people in France, who are not a recognized nation, went over and did exactly the same things that the French army did, except on a smaller scale. Be, they are terrorists. Yes. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's because if it's sanctioned and you have the form. And you fill out oh the form. Oh my god! Oh my god, Carl! It's paperwork. It's paperwork. Paperwork yes. is the difference between yep. a military action and a it's, terrorist. Do you have your action. form DD forty eight? Yeah, it's. Do you have the form? Oh, Carl, that is so depressing. I know. <sighs> well, if I'm, you have the right paperwork, then it's okay. If, if you, you don't, ha- what the fuck? That's true, though. It is. If it's you have the true. right paperwork, you're okay. Mm-hmm. And if you don't. And so it was like driving oh my, a car too. It's like if oh my it's god! Everything is so Tuttle is actually a terrorist. Yeah, his cleaning, his his fixing that heating duct in this extreme yes. end game of a world. He does not have his paperwork in order, and therefore the government recognizes him as a terrorist. He would have to be. He doesn't have the paperwork. He doesn't have the forms filed. Fuck, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, man. <laughs> All right, I I don't have anything else on the movie, and uh, I, we're we're not going to solve terrorism. No, in of course minutes, not. But, but I'm glad we brought it up yep. because we keep running into it in these movies. So we really do, we really do. So um, yeah, man, Brazil, what a fucking great movie. And you know what? Uh, 
Terry Gilliam. I'm super excited. Dude, that makes me very happy. Let's let's do it. Let's sneak in. I know we've got plans, but let's sneak yeah. in Time Bandit somewhere so we yeah, can let's see do all it. three of yep. them. I would love that. I would love that. Oh, God. All right. Uh, so let's do our, our housekeeping and get out of here. We have to have all of our forms in order. We have fuck. <laughs> can we just not do the paperwork? Yeah, no paperwork today, No folks. paperwork today. We'll do, Thank you. We'll get back to paperwork next time. Uh, just take this opportunity to go and enjoy Brazil. Just make sure that before you go and uh, enjoy Brazil to have all of your forms signed in triplicate.